Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. Today, we're so happy to have back one of our favorite previous guests. Truly. Dylan Landau. Woo! Welcome back, Woo! Dylan. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Dylan was last with us for season two, episode 12, Meet the New Boss. We've gone almost two seasons and a whole year without talking to her again. Unacceptable. Too long. Too long. Yeah. Far too long. <laughs> How have you been? I've been okay. Since then, I released my album. Can you remind our listeners what the name of that album is in case they of missed course. it the first time? That <laughs> album is called Bring in the Tide, and it is available to stream or purchase wherever you purchase or stream music. Nice. Yay. Are you Amazing. happy with the final result, how it all came together? I am. I will always nitpick everything I do so like I don't like it as much as I did the day I released it yeah but you know I would always do things differently and I'm excited to eventually record another one yeah and then hate that one a few years after uh, <laughs> nice little cycle I trust that so much more I know it sounds terrible but I always know a student's gonna be a really good writer in a creative writing class when they're like I don't know maybe I'm okay and I'm like I think you're actually probably right. great <laughs> yeah I feel like if you don't think you can do better or learn more you're probably not very good yeah that's it it's like all about growing all the time mm -hmm. yeah so same that. with intelligence like people who know that they don't know a lot are smarter than people who think they know everything totally yes gotta be curious yes mm -hmm. um what else has have I been up to I mean I started my own business type deal wow what is the business? The business is just all of my survival jobs smushed into one website oh. <laughs> to just advertise everything at once. So starting this year, 2022, I've quit all my other jobs and I'm seeing if I can do it just the babysitting and organizing and pet sitting and creative projects that I do, seeing if I can uh, make my income on all that. Oh, that's awesome. What is this website it's all been smushed into? It's called DylanDoesItAll.com. <laughs> I love that. You heard it here first, folks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I offer virtual things too. So uh, you don't have to be in Toronto. Nice. Freezing cold Canada. All right. Well, very cool. It's just so nice to hear your voice again. I'm yes. already excited. I've been looking forward <laughs> to it. We have a very special episode for you today. <laughs> it is Parenthood Season 4, Episode 13, Small Victories. It was written by Sarah Watson, directed by Peter Krause. It originally aired on January 8th, 2013. And here is the DVD synopsis. Drew and Amy receive overwhelming news, and Adam and Christina help Max adjust to teenage life. Victor is confrontational towards Julia and Joel, causing them to question their parenting abilities. As you heard, this is the second episode directed by Peter Krause. Yeah. And it's coming right off the heels of Dax Shepard's first episode. Those Braverman boys are just taking it over. They are indeed. And I believe I said in our previous episode that Peter Krause had directed a few by that point. Clearly I was wrong. He only directed <laughs> one by that point. Now he's directed two. He's directed a couple, you might say. Yes, indeed. Yeah. One more and it'll be a few. The one storyline that the synopsis didn't allude to is where I thought we might start. Okay. Which is the continuing saga of <laughs> Renee and her son-in-law. Yeah. I love this conflict. I do too. I mean, I wouldn't if I were in either of their shoes, <laughs> but I love watching it from the outside. And I, I wonder if for a show that, as we've said before, doesn't delve into in-law stuff very much, 
it seems like season four, they're sort of perhaps discovering that there's a lot to mine there. Yeah. We had the episode between Christina and Camille, who've butted heads before, but this felt a little more about, you know, the mother-in-law coming into her space and imposing. And then now we have it with Jasmine, the only (laughs) in-law whose family (laughs) we've ever met to any degree. And by family that we met, it's two people. True. (laughs) It's her mother and her brother. That's it. She doesn't have any other family. No. To that end, Brooklyn McClinn is back as Seku. This is his fourth episode. I always enjoy him. Me too. Yeah. I loved when he was, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when he was eating cereal, he twice like rubbed his own belly. <laughs> I did not <laughs> I notice that. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, this is a little cartoonish. But then I realized, oh, he's just trying to like stick it to Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> so he is putting on a little show. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's a smart choice. <laughs> Anyway, what do you guys think about Renee living with the Braver Moons? I can't imagine being a house guest like that. And I know it's different because it's family and it's her daughter's house and she's a grandmother and all that stuff. But like she's uh, really taking over with the temperature of the house and the humidity (laughs) and when they eat and even in my own house, I don't go to the bathroom for 40 minutes without like letting people know I'll be in there in case someone wants to go in there first. Yeah. And here she is like, just own in the place while they're letting her stay there, which I think is nice of them to do. And also I can't picture myself being a host the way that Crosby is and also being rude to her. I feel like everyone's wrong. Everyone's yeah. wrong. You're so right. You're Dylan I honestly is right. felt like that for everything in this episode. Ooh, almost. Okay. I thought everyone was wrong all the time. <laughs> I love that. Except in this storyline, I will point out the position that Jasmine is in, which I think she does the best she can in. My heart really went out to her because I felt like in every scene between Crosby and Renee, Jasmine was trying to be respectful of her mother, even though she understood why her husband was upset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she was trying to stick up for her mother because she realized what a baby her husband was being. Right. Now, that is not easy. And I thought Joy Bryant, you know, she she doesn't say much in this episode, but I felt like she conveyed that anytime the camera caught her face. Yeah. She was like literally between yeah. a rock and a hard place. That's a rough, rough place to be in. And she, yeah. she made some really great comments, I thought, throughout that were not passive aggressive, but they were just explanatory. Like, when Crosby was all like, you guys ate without me? And, you know, Jasmine's like, well, I did try to explain to my mom, <laughs> you know, and and I thought, well, good. You know, like, she's not just like, yep, I'm on mom's side now, you know, but mm-hmm. she, yeah, I think she was. And she's happy to get him cereal. Yeah. You know, she doesn't say, right. that's not dinner. She could have also been like, mom, you can eat and I'm going to wait for my husband because that's, that's what true. I do. Or, but I don't know. Are they married? At they, this are, point? they are. They yeah. are. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but yeah, she totally could have done that. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Let's discuss this dinner debacle. All right. Did you guys Hi. eat dinner without me? Yeah, sorry, honey. I, I tried to explain to her that we wait for you to come back from work. She did my fault. But I had no idea it would be so late. Lordy, eight o'clock? That's a late dinner for a young boy. And it was ready hours ago, but I kept a plate warm for you. It's chap. Oh, uh, Renee, I'm sure it's super good trout. I'm just, I'm not much of a fish guy, so maybe I'll have some cereal. Yeah, I'll get you some uh-uh, cereal. Uh-uh. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
Jabbar was reluctant at first, but once he tried it, he loved it, didn't you, baby? You did love it. Oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how did your interview go today? Well, I thank you for asking, but I don't think it went very well. I'm sorry to hear that. You'll find one, Mom. We'll see. It's tough out there. Try your fish. Tell me how you like it. Okay. It's really good with lemon, too. I'm really glad that they did include this scene because I think I would have found Crosby's behavior inexcusable without it. And I think including it makes me go, wow, Dylan, the way you put it, like, I can't imagine being a house guest this way. Awful. I mean, it like, mm -hmm. especially like controlling what he eats and like equating him with a child. Like Jabbar didn't want to eat it at first either. Like, right. like, so, it, you know, it's like, oh my God, he's a grown man. He can eat whatever he wants. Yeah. And he was actually nice about like, oh, that's so thoughtful that you put a plate aside for me. Like he was like, oh, yuck, fish. No, right. thanks. I'll have cereal. Like, he's like, that's very kind of you. Not really my thing. I'll have something else in my own home with the groceries that I buy. <laughs> right, like, right. I feel like she cannot have control over that. That would drive me insane. Yeah. I also loved, meaning hated, that <laughs> she said, I know my fault. So like, <laughs> which to me was just so, she didn't mean it. Because right. what she's really saying there is like, I know it's my bad that I insisted that we eat. It's not like something that just happened that she's going, right. oh, my, my fault, my mistake. No, you apparently foisted dinner time on everyone else. Yeah. It's a reading now. Yeah. It's not right. just something that happened that you apologize for. And like for. parented Jabbar too. Yeah. He's like, Jabbar can't eat at eight. He has to eat at six. Yeah. It's like, well, you're not his mom. Right. We eat no. together as a family at eight, not if, the end of the world. If you move into someone's house, you do have to, I mean, it should, the, neither one of them is budging, I feel like, and they should both budge, right? Like they should do what would make her feel comfortable, but she should also... Respect. Yes. Like the that, that every house has its own way of doing things. And if she wants to eat earlier, she can, but like to force the whole family, that's, that is not okay. And then it's all surprises for Crosby too. Like, can people not call? Like, I feel like a quick call to him during the day being like, hey, I tried to tell my mom we're not eating until eight, until you get home. She's like driving me insane. I just don't want to fight with her anymore. The three of us are going to eat and yeah. you can eat when you get home just to give him a heads up and not come home and be like, oh, you all all did this without me. And I guess I'm in an awkward position now. That's just some like point. during the day communication about all the changes in their lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe he can bring food home with him if he knows right. there's trout waiting and then play dumb like, oh, I was so late that I just brought my own food. Sorry, mm -hmm. I'll eat your trout tomorrow when you're out getting interviewed and I put it in the trash. <laughs> right. I'll bring it as my lunch. And throw it out at the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So smart. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Another thing I love about in-laws, both in fiction and in real life, <laughs> is noticing where certain traits maybe come from. And like in this trout scene, Renee is very sweet, but she's very pushy. Mm -hmm. And that's a trait that Jasmine has yeah. that mm -hmm. we've seen before. And I just thought, oh, this is not coming from nowhere. Maybe it comes <laughs> right. from she grew up with a mom who was very assertive. Yeah. I also think what's like a little hard to juggle in this scene is Crosby being the person who like keeps having to tell Renee. I don't know. I feel like in my family, 
if my boyfriend comes over and is interacting with my parents and my parents are doing something annoying, it's not up to my boyfriend to like complain to them and tell them to stop. Like I'll do, I'll see what's happening. And I have a relationship with my parents where I can talk to them and call them out on stuff. And like, it's my yeah. job kind of as the middleman. I feel like my boyfriend would do the same with his parents for me. It kind of left Crosby in a bad situation. And the parents are less likely to take offense if you say, oh, can right. you cut this and out? And they're probably used to it. Like we all kind of act that way to our parents sometimes. Like we've been doing yeah. that forever. And that's something that I'm comfortable doing is being like, hey, you're being annoying in this way. And it's making me uncomfortable. And also like maybe not even bring my partner into it at all. Like it just makes it tough for Crosby to have a good relationship with her. I feel like Jasmine could intervene a little more. That's true. I hadn't even thought about it being like up to Jasmine to do. I more thought of my own situation. And yeah, I would just never talk like this to my mother-in-law. What mm-hmm. I would do is talk about her behind her back. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. No, because <laughs> you were raised right. I was raised right. No, and I mean I'm mostly kidding, but I'm also being serious. Like if there was something right. that was like an issue, I would not gossip behind her back, but I would talk to Mark because right. yeah, he would be the one to address it. And I think that's the right thing to do because I don't, I, I yeah, I, I just unless you're super close, which these episodes, this storyline is teaching me. They are not like, (laughs) yeah, at least not in the way that that Crosby can say something, but also the way Crosby says stuff, it really drives me crazy. It's, it's reminding me of the way he brought stuff up to Jasmine when they broke up before they got married. He just lets it fester until it like comes out in this really passive aggressive whiny way. He doesn't say to Jasmine, you know, two seasons ago. I have some concerns that I'd really like to talk to you about. Instead, he just snips at her, makes little mm-hmm. passive aggressive comments. He's doing that here as well. And I'm just like, it's so rude. I can't handle it. I and and totally. Yeah. And that's why I am glad, at least for that scene, because I'm like, okay, that that is obnoxious and that would be really difficult to handle. But I'm like, oh my God, right. dude, like you're being so rude to this woman. She's the I will mother say in of his your defense, wife. <laughs> yeah. In his defense, the scenes we see him in in this. One, he really has to pee. And two is it's eight o'clock and he hasn't eaten dinner. So I'm just going to say I'm not a great person when I really need to pee or when I'm really hungry. So I'm going to go ahead and like kind of excuse his behavior because he's been caused discomfort and it's directly her fault in both situations. That's a great point. Yeah. I find it interesting you brought up the season two fight because as you'll remember, all that wedding stuff, Renee was a part of that too. She was. And I think there is this subtle thread of Renee is kind of a steamroller, even over Jasmine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It does feel like she sort of really knows her place in that relationship and that it's that Renee is the alpha Mm -hmm. and Jasmine is a little bit along for the ride. Right. Years of learning, like it's better for me to just go along with it and probably way more it's just bringing on more issues and drama to fight about it. But that's not fair to Crosby because he doesn't have that lifelong yeah. relationship with her. And it just makes Renee a really interesting character too, because it's not, she's the opposite of monstrous about it. Right. It's not like she's like a tyrant who my way mm-hmm. or the highway. No, she does it all with a smile. And I think she's got a great heart. And I think she's aware of it sometimes too. You know, when she moved in in the last episode, she was very humble and very gracious about the inconvenience she was imposing on them. So she's not without self-awareness. Yeah. Right. But it is part of her character, I think, that Renee I think just it's really is the realistic. Boss. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's like a real character. Like yes. I can totally picture people in my life who are like that. Completely. Well, and it's such a good conflict for so many reasons, but I think one of, I mean, I relate to this. My husband is an only child. He has a single mother. And so it, their family was the two of them. I mean, for, for a long time. And then I have a mom and I have an older brother, you know, so it's like the five of us, <laughs> two families, just five people. It's very small. And I mentioned this because something Mark and I really kind of had to learn when we got together was that it was us. We were the couple and our childhood families were now our secondary families and not our primary mm-hmm. families because we were young when we got together. And I think that our moms both really felt like it was their right to say whatever they wanted about our relationship, to comment on the way we did things, not in a mean way, kind of like Renee, just making themselves real comfortable and (laughs) (laughs) making it like, yeah, I don't know, like like they they were as much a part of our relationship and then later marriage as we were. Um, I remember, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I remember when Mark and I were, I'm going to say <laughs> The look on your face. It's terrible. Pure oh, mischief. <laughs> well, I just remember when Mark and I were getting married and we were like making plans. His mom did make a comment like, well, it's my wedding too. Like she, she really said that. And it's actually not. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but it was so strange because I'm like, well, I see what you mean. And it is in the sense that it's a family event and all of that. But, but yeah, I was like, but it's our marriage and that's what the wedding is, you know, (laughs) but it was kind of a fascinating like peek inside her mind. And I feel like when Renee was really helping, you know, with the wedding, I think that was it too. It became Renee and uh, Jasmine planning it more than Crosby. And that was part of the problem. He felt really left out. And so I think, I mean, Mark and I early on had to be like, okay, we are like a united front. And even though our moms love us and we love them, you have got to have boundaries, something we've talked about that the Braverman people don't have. (laughs) And maybe the Trestles don't either, but you you have to. It's uh, for the the health and safety of (laughs) and sanity of the relationship. (laughs) So I do think that it's interesting because when Crosby went off on Renee, it was so unacceptable, but he and Jasmine needed to be more of a team. Like Dylan, like you said, Jasmine should have been like probably texting him about here's what's going on so that maybe he didn't feel like so alienated in his own home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I like what you said earlier too, about there's just certain ways you would never speak to your mother. Never. Never. And <laughs> I think that's what led me to really get a lot of satisfaction about when Renee put Crosby in his place. Crosby, look, I know that this situation is not ideal. Mom. No, let me say my piece. Crosby, are you aware that for 30 years I worked at the nonprofit helping kids get health care? And no, I didn't make a lot of money, but every day was meaningful. And I was able to take care of my kids, put a roof over their head, and when I didn't give to my kids, I gave to that nonprofit, and now I'm a budget cut. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I just, I want you no. to. No. I'm sorry. I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe I am being too picky. Maybe, maybe I've been acting entitled to having the kind of job I've had for 30 years. 
And if my pride has inconvenienced you all, I am really sorry about that. I'm going to go lie down, okay? A trend that I think I'm noticing with Crosby is that I almost never disagree with where he's coming from. His views are usually based in reality and understandable. I I think he often falls short in his conduct. Yes. Like, I get that he wants her to move out. And I get that he thinks she's being too picky. But he can think all of those things and still be respectful to his wife's mother. Yeah. So I, I really liked that Renee stood up for herself. And I really liked, especially listening to it here again, she kind of ended by conceding his point. I mean, it it sounded like she didn't totally know where she was going with this speech in a way that I kind of liked. It wasn't like, I'm right, you're wrong, so there. I think she just said, please understand where I'm coming from. And And it was almost like she heard it and then thought, and you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I should just suck it up. It's a feeling I had a lot, especially through 2020 and a lot of 2021, as I was looking for work that I had no interest in doing. Yeah. There were times that I thought, I'm not doing that. And then I would think, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, like like that's beneath you or something? Get over yourself. But that's that's hard. And when she says, maybe I'm being too picky trying to have the job I've had for 30 years, yeah. I think 30 years, that is a long time. Yeah. To then just in a matter of weeks go, eh, forget it. At my age, I, they can just give me no benefits and I'll drive really far. And that's just my lot in life. That's not fair. It was also nice to know what she did for a living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some in, in-law information. Worked yeah. in a nonprofit. I see that. Totally. I think the way they were talking to each other showed like they have the potential to have a better relationship. Like I think part of what makes them have a bad relationship is Crosby like bottles everything up and then it like explodes and he's rude. And Renee is like, I'm staying here and this is how I do things and blah, 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 blah. And like all they needed was a conversation to see both sides. And I think like I have that with She's not my mother-in-law, but she calls me her F-M-I-L, her future mother-in-law, Aww. even though I'm not engaged. <laughs> That's sweet. But like, I have a relationship with her where because early on, I learned to be honest in my communication with her that I can do some like tough love talking with her, but it's not rude. It's just communication. And I feel like if they had that, it could look something like, of course, I would never want you to take a job that is not going to make you happy and not going to be like the same idea as what you're looking for. I'm not going to make you do that. You're welcome to stay here while you look for a job that suits you. And like, maybe let's come up with something that works for us to compromise while you're staying with us. I don't know, maybe one night a week, Renee can like go out by herself for a little bit so that the family of three can have some time together and they can have ways of determining who gets the bathroom for what amount of time, like just conversations that I think normal people would have and that they're clearly capable of having. Like this speech showed that they could have open, honest communication about their feelings and figure out some kind of compromise. Absolutely. Because instead, it's just snarky comments. I mean, just like like Caleb said, the conduct, you know, just tweak it. You know, what if he said, Renee, I'm just worried that you're going to pass up some good opportunities. The market is not good right now. I don't want you to be in a bad situation, but I'm also worried about you. You need, you need work. And, you know, at what point are 
you know, like what should we settle on and, and not instead of just being like, well, I'm sure that the perfect job set exactly to your specifications. <laughs> and if they offer it to you politely, That's not helpful. no, it was so <laughs> awful. I just thought if I were Jasmine, honestly, I, I would have a hard time being married to someone who would speak to my family like that. And, and then mm-hmm. I couldn't help, but just twist it around. And I'm like, has Jasmine ever been anything other than 100% gracious and kind to his family? Never. I mean, she has, she yeah. has, ne- she would never speak to anyone of the Bravermans the way that he consistently talks to her mom. It's awful. And I can see being frustrated, but what a child. And when he did chide Seku about having his mother do his laundry, I was like, is this a joke? The lack of self-awareness. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is extra. Um, and for him to be like, well, actually, I lived on a houseboat. I'm like, oh, I'm sure that's the only reason. I mean, your whole life. He was doing, his mom was doing his laundry, though, in a house that was not his mom's house, which is a Maybe. bit of something where I could see like, okay, I live here with my <laughs> wife and funny. my kid. Yeah, My mom is staying with me. And now her son is also coming to do laundry at my house. It's not her house. Like, I for Sick, sure was presented. Meet me at Crosby's house. Yeah. Right. Like, it was presented in a really kind of douchey way because it's super hypocritical that yeah. that's the subject matter of, like, pointing it at him for being like, your mom's doing your laundry. But point it at her and be like, we are happy to have you here. It's crowded as it is. We have our own laundry to do. <laughs> Maybe don't do other people's laundry at our house. Yeah. And then she's feeding him Crosby cereal. <laughs> That's, that Crosby wasn't allowed yeah. to eat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I just put that together. That's, That's so great. funny. Yeah, yeah, that That's scene was not very subtle. <laughs> no, was <laughs> <laughs> kind of hammering you over the head. With- <laughs> I mean, I think that Crosby really didn't have to even say anything. He could have just like looked conflicted as Seku ate his cereal and had his mom do his laundry, and just been like, "Huh, like I really can't say anything, can I? This is bothering me, but it's also karma." I think it would have been maybe funnier if he hadn't actually taken a Ooh. pot shot at mm-hmm. Seku. Yeah. It does. Now that we're saying this, it makes me curious as to what the sibling relationship with Renee is between Jasmine and Seku. I mean, is Seku the Crosby of that family? Is he doted on by Renee? But then maybe Renee is very hard on Jasmine. I could see that. Mm -hmm. That's the impression. We don't really know, but. It's the impression I get. I mean, Seku, it is a nice bit of continuity because I, I do believe it's the season two episode where Seku and Crosby get into a fight because Gabby has driven Crosby to like go pick up Jabbar and Crosby's drunk. Anyway, um, it's really interesting because then later in the same episode, Crosby goes over to like apologize to Renee and Seku's there and she's been doing his laundry, I believe. (laughs) And so like we've established this as a character trait that they both have, like their mom's doing that for them. And that's interesting. And I totally see Jasmine. There's no way in hell that Renee did her laundry her whole life. In fact, (laughs) Jasmine takes care of Renee, you know, like she's Mm -hmm. the one who's like, okay, we looked at her finances. It's worse than we thought, you know, in some ways, I think Jasmine's the mom and that's interesting. Like she's got her shit so together. And I I do wonder (laughs) if, yeah, is she harder on Jasmine, even though Seku is the one. 
And I relate to that like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. <laughs> so it's funny. Crosby and Renee feel like they're at least in danger of digging their heels in if they haven't already done it. And then they're just kind of in this battle where they're not even really trying to resolve the underlying conflict anymore. They just want to win. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what's happening in this episode between Julia and Victor. Ooh. I'm not eating this. Victor, hon, I made pancakes because that's what you asked for. I don't like them like you make. You haven't even tried them yet. I put blueberries in them. Blueberries suck. Mom, Victor just said suck. Sweetie, don't say suck. You just said it? Okay, no one say that word, and I will make you pancakes without blueberries if you ask nicely. I want Burger King pancakes. That is not gonna happen. Your cooking sucks. Mom, he just said it again. I know, sweetie, I heard him. You know what, take your plate and you can go watch TV in the living room while you eat your breakfast. I'm not allowed to do that. Such a little kisser. Victor! He just said another bad word. I know, sweetheart, go into the living room. So not fair. Victor? You need to eat breakfast. I'm not gonna eat that. You can eat what I made you or have nothing at all. My real mom got me Burger King every day. I'm like so pro Victor and anti Julia in everything that happens in this episode. Ooh, please start. Everything. I want to I know. This storyline drove me insane. Okay. I think. First of all, if you're adopting or fostering or any of those things, you are doing it for the child. It can't be like a, I don't have kids and you're the solution to me being able to have kids. It's not about Ooh. fitting into your picture perfect family. It's about helping child, especially if it's a foster child who knows his mom and is, you know, how old is he? Like nine? I think so. He's a human being who was raised a certain way who has been traumatized by things in his life and who you're helping for sure but he's not just going to like fit into their perfect Julia life. Like every single time she said she wanted him to call her mom and he was like, you're not my mom. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're not his mom. Like, why are you forcing him to call you mom? His mom is alive mm -hmm. and a human being in his world. Like you are not his mom. And it doesn't just, I don't know. Everything about it was like, I wanted Julia to cave to how he needs things to be done and not try and make him fit into the puzzle piece of their already existing lives Every, I, I didn't like anything about how she behaved in this episode. Wow. I really like that perspective because I have felt like that before, but I think this was the episode where I really started to just feel her frustration. I think Julia is a character that I'm not usually very sympathetic to. So I think she's often very focused on her own stuff and, you know, a lot of times hasn't taken into account what people around her are going through, like Joel, <laughs> namely. <laughs> and so I'm usually team Joel. But in this episode, I thought Joel was like sort of minimizing how difficult of a time Julia was having. And I really felt for Julia every time there. I don't know. I just I especially like with Sydney jumping on the bandwagon and being like, Victor said suck. Like, I was like, all right, you pipe down. You're, you're fine. You're not traumatized. <laughs> Like, I don't know. But um, but yeah, hearing you say that does does certainly help because all of this is stemming from the last episode. Victor does not feel like he can trust Julia. And when you really look at it that way, she is handling this all wrong. He doesn't need big gestures like blueberry pancakes. He needs probably like a real conversation where they talk about what happened in the last episode where he, you know, threw the bat at the window and broke it. And, you know, what if she did say, I was just scared 
what if that had hit Sydney? What, what did you mean for that to happen? You know, like they need a they mm-hmm. need they need that. You know, it's like she's just trying to do all these gestures, but those are probably kind of meaningless for him. Right. And they seem like she's doing those gestures for like an end result that's like a picture perfect family, but even just the difference between how she's treating Victor and Sydney, the fact that at the end of the episode she's like I don't know if I can adopt him now. Like if Sydney did something like that, like if they got in a fight and Sydney called 911 and the police came, she wouldn't like give up Sydney. So that already shows like that you're not treating this person like your kid. You want him to call you mom, but like he is second to Sydney without a doubt. And he knows it. And he knows it. And just in general, he wants to be with his real mom. Like that is hard. And what he doesn't need is like, nope, we're going to forget about your entire first nine years of your life. And you're going to act this certain way and just behave perfectly as if you've had no trauma in your past and aren't at a new school with new, like everything has been taken from you and everything familiar is gone. Yeah. Even talking to him about what he did in the previous episode, I'm still kind of like, I don't even know if it should be about, like, I would just focus on what makes him the most comfortable now before even talking about discipline and punishments and all that kind of stuff. I think it's just about making him feel loved and welcomed and doing what he wants, honestly, in a safe way, obviously to a point. I'm sort of right in the middle on Julia because I I feel really bad for her. I just don't know what the right thing to do is at this point in time. Like when Victor won't come to the table and they catch him eating candy in his room, she goes up there and she says, I'm going to end this hunger strike right now. Part of me thinks, yeah, this is maybe the time to be harsh. Like my dad had a phrase with (laughs) child rearing that probably sounds horrible, but it was resistance is futile. And it's, it's that the parent has to be the authority and the kid needs to understand I'm never going to beat them in Mm -hmm. the, in a battle for control. The parent is in control. I am the child, but like Crosby and Renee, they're both digging in their heels. It just feels like mutually assured destruction Right. And it, it seems like what they need to desperately do is de-escalate the situation. But I, I don't know how, because like at this point, it feels like Victor is past talking to. And I, I think that probably was the right thing to do after the bat throwing incident. But she didn't do it. Yeah. Only Joel talked to him. And Joel said, Victor thinks you hate him. What I took away from that was I think Victor needed to be assured that she didn't hate him, even if she was not happy with the behavior, which I think is a perfectly legitimate reaction to throwing a bat. Mm -hmm. But now I think he thinks, well, she hates me. Well, I hate her too. Fuck her. And now they're not trying to resolve the actual issue. Now they're just trying to win in this battle. Right. But it also, it can't be looked at as a parent-child relationship because it's not a parent. It's not his parent. And like, sure, adoptive parent, foster parent, there's different dynamics there. But I don't know. I just think even like the way that Sydney's treated, like I think they need to have a talk with Sydney about the difference of the behavior of them and how she's doing a great job being raised, like acting the way she was raised. And Victor wasn't raised the same way as her. And we're going to need to help him adjust to that. And maybe even like he is Burger King all the time. Like, okay, want to know what? Tonight, the whole family is going to do things how Victor does things. And then tomorrow night, we're going to do things how we do things and make it feel a little more even. But yeah, definitely, I think, I felt bad for Julia. Like, I feel like I can sympathize with her and empathize and know how horrible that whole situation would feel. But again, I never think that adopting or fostering is about the parent. I think it always has to be about the child and their needs. And maybe they're not ready to do that, but I don't know. And then the social worker came. I was like, you're doing everything right. I was like, I don't think she is. 
I don't think you're doing everything right. Well, I thought in the wake of the cops, I felt like Julia made the exact same mistake, in my opinion, that she did after the bat incident. You know, she says to Joel, you go talk to him. Mm -hmm. I can't even look at him right now. And if she's that angry, which, again, I understand. If I had the cops called against me when I never raised my hand to the kids and Sydney is freaked out. and Yeah, I, I, she has every reason to be upset. But if it's clear that the cops know there's no abuse and Victor has been scared straight, as they say, and this might be the prime opportunity to sort of call a ceasefire in yeah. the standoff. You know, like and it's Victor's what she would have walls- done with Sydney. If yeah. Sydney had done all this, you know she would be tucking her into bed. She would be simultaneously letting her know that what happened was not okay under any circumstances and that she still loves her and is there for her and she's someone she can trust and always come to. Like, that's what you would be doing for Sydney. And the fact that she's not doing it for Victor further proves that, like, I don't think she's a great foster parent. But why, yeah. why not have a conversation? Like, Victor, I'm guessing that you know that there's no abuse here and you know that you shouldn't have called mm-hmm. the police, but... Why did you? I mean, just as a teacher, that's what we're kind of taught to do is take our own egos out of it, which is sometimes really hard, especially when something feels personal. And in that case, it is personal, you know. Um, But we're supposed to get to the root of why kids are behaving the way they're behaving, you know. And, And instead of just being angry at the behavior, analyzing the behavior. I mean, in the last episode, if she'd had that conversation with Victor, she would have learned that Sydney was saying things like, your real mom doesn't love you. You're a bad kid. She would have (laughs) been able to contextualize what was happening. And perhaps if she'd had a conversation with Victor, she would have been able to contextualize this as well. Because if he was able to put words to his feelings, and maybe he wouldn't have been able to, he is a child, you know, maybe he was just frustrated. And, but you know, maybe he would have been like, well, I feel like you hate me. Isn't that worth calling the cops on? <laughs> or, you know, I don't know. Right. What he, I don't know what he would have said. But I do know that, yes, it's an absolute mistake to keep acting like he's the interloper in their family. And oh, Dylan, you just keep saying something that I think is brilliant that I've never really thought about before, is that parents can't adopt a kid for themselves. Well, that's exactly what they're doing because their original plan was to adopt a baby. And of course, mm-hmm. a, a baby also needs a home. I'm not an idiot. I, I get that. But but a baby wouldn't have come with all these previous experiences and knowing their biological parents and, and having, you know, all of this. I feel like they never really fully adjusted to the fact that they didn't get a baby. They got a nine-year-old in some mm-hmm. ways. You know, they they called his old friend Miguel and had him come over. And Julia was like learning Spanish. I mean, there are some things that she was doing. I think they were making strides. I don't think Joel's making that up when he tells the social worker mm-hmm. some good things have happened Also, when, yeah, Julia's like, you're only thinking about it in one side. But at home, he's blah, blah. It's like, you're also only thinking about one side because he was, yeah. Joel was talking about his progress at school. And she's like, that's only one side of things. Yeah. That's, that's important. You have to see both sides. You do. Yeah. But yeah, I think that finding out where he's coming from and talking to him and then also, yeah, just showing him any kind of affection <laughs> to reassure him that he is loved and welcome there. Cause I don't know, my, I have a nephew who's five and he has a lot of behavioral issues. He's always doing the opposite of what he's asked to do. And he gets yelled at a lot and disciplined a lot. And I watch my mom with him. So he has a cute relationship with his grandmother and my mom, whenever he does anything wrong, she like sits him on her lap, gives him like a big squeeze and talks about why what he did wasn't okay. And then asks how he's feeling about it. Like while she's hugging him so that it's like, you did something wrong that doesn't change 
how anyone feels about you. The love is all there. Yeah. But let's talk about why you did what you did and why it's not okay and what we can do next time and all that stuff. And I think that's so important in kids because if he's not feeling any love, he has no reason to change any behavior. I don't think he has Great any point. motivation for that. Yeah. Well, and like like I was saying, she she does the exact same thing after the cops come that she did with the bat, which is prioritize Sydney's well-being over his kind of right in front of him mm-hmm. that she's not hiding that either and then leaves Joel to deal with him and I, I'm curious your opinion on Joel's conversation with him I had initially thought it was really good but our conversation now is making me wonder how effective it was okay you know what that's my wife don't talk to her that way. Whatever, she didn't even get arrested. Victor, do you understand what you did? You had the police come into our house. Do you understand that? It really hurt us. It's not acceptable. And you need to think about it. I can tell you what I really like about it. I think it's one of the few times that Victor is given a reason to respect her that is separate from Victor's relationship with her. like. For Joel to say, that's my wife, I find more effective than saying, that's your mother. Because as Dylan has been saying, and we've said it before too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I think it would be better to let Victor choose when he feels like it's time to start calling them mom and dad. And, and they really have been shoving that in his face and also in Sydney's, which is part of, I think, why Sydney acts out, you know, because they keep saying, that's your brother. And she's like, what? You know, and I, I think if everyone was more honest about the real relationship here. Like, we love Victor, he's our family. You know, maybe maybe even that word is a little bit more vague Mm -hmm. because it's not replacing, you know, his mother relationship. But I I think that for Joel to say, if you respect me, you should respect her because she's my wife. I I feel like maybe there's something to that because, you know, and, and also I think I was just really happy to see Joel like sort of stand up for his wife, because I think part of her frustration is Joel. He just keeps acting like she's crazy to be struggling. And I think if someone would hold her and acknowledge her, Mm -hmm. (laughs) she might also be a little bit, but she's just feeling like abandoned by everyone. Sydney too, you know, Sydney being like, you know, questioning everything. Well, why does Victor get to do that? And then Joel is like, suck it up, honey. This is what we're doing. And I think if someone would just listen to her say, I am struggling. I don't know if I can do this. Then maybe she wouldn't have said it in front of the social worker. Like if she could talk to her husband about that, honestly, and then work through it. You know, I I think that sometimes that's what makes something so dire. You just feel completely and totally alone. And she feels judged by Joel. And so I think it was nice to see him express that he really still loves her and isn't choosing Victor over her, which I think is how she's feeling. It's interesting. It's a lot of people choosing someone over someone else, and it's really toxic and damaging. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I honestly think it was another missed opportunity to make Victor feel loved, because what could have happened from that situation had it gone wrong with the police is like, now they can't be with Victor anymore. And letting him know, like, it is so important to us to have you be safe and be in a place where people are treating you well and giving you food and a bed and like fun baseball toys to play with outside and all this stuff. And (laughs) if the police had deemed what we did to be child abuse, we wouldn't be able to have you. And that's like our biggest fear is losing you at this point because we do think of you as family, like saying anything to him that's showing like the reason that scared us is because it could have separated us and letting him know that. And that again, it was like, it just feels like it's not 
it is a family of three that they're like smushing Victor into. And I, I think recently I've been like, I fell into this like Instagram and TikTok world of people who are anti-adoption, which opened my eyes because I was always like anti-adoption, like adopting is such a good thing to do and such a good deed. And the more I've learned about it, the more I like kind of lean that way. I'm like pro making it a world where no one needs to be put up for adoption. Cause a lot of the time that happens because of money issues or lack of sex education or lack of supportive families. And most of these issues could be solved with a better world systemically. And also like, I think with adoptions in general, but especially with like foster kids who are older, keeping them with their family, which doesn't always mean parents, it can mean extended family as well, is super important. And so the idea of like taking any kid and like forcing them into your life, and especially if they have the, if they're old enough to consent to something and they don't want to be adopted, like, I don't think you should be able to adopt a kid who doesn't want to be adopted by you. Like, it's all obviously way more complicated than I had ever thought. But I think because I've been consuming so much of that media and then watched this episode, I was like, none of this is good for Victor. Obviously, like having a roof over his head and meals and adults who are keeping him safe and treating him well, like that's obviously super important. But I think he is just a band-aid to their inability to have a baby. And that is unfair to him. Hmm. To Joel's speech in that scene, I still liked what you said, Melissa, about his interaction. And I also liked, you know, his tone of voice. He wasn't yelling at Victor, but it was obviously very serious and I liked that at the end, he took the baseball and the glove away. So clearly it's he's withholding a privilege. And that's a consequence for Victor doing something wrong. I think that is good discipline. And I also liked that he said, you really hurt us. So that it wasn't just anger, but it was an invitation to Victor to sort of think about the consequences of what he did. But what I think was still missing was what you both have been saying Any exploration of Victor's feelings about these things, why he did that, why he felt like he should do that, I think probably they're assuming they know exactly why he did it. And they might be right about that. I mean, I think he was just trying to score one on Julia because I think they've set themselves up in this combative arrangement right now. And so, okay, you strike out at me and take the candy away, well, I'll strike out at you and call the cops on you. What's your next move? And I don't think Joel helped that aspect of it by saying, that's my wife. Although I agree, I like the aspect of, if you think I'm okay, Victor, then you should take into account the people who are important to me, including my wife. But it also is sort of like, you against her, and I'm on her you talk side. To, and I'm on her <laughs> side. That's not and now, good. And now, yeah, now yeah. this nine, 10 year old boy is feeling so alone. And yeah. I felt like Joel, though, was the Jasmine of this mm. conflict in between two people. You know, he obviously doesn't approve of what Victor did and he wants to be supportive of Julia. But I think he's also frustrated by Julia's shortcomings. I very much so. And I don't know why they aren't really talking about that with each other. Because they never talk about anything. It's a problem they've <laughs> always true. had. And this <laughs> this would be hard for Joel and Julia to get past. Like, I think that some of their other fights, I think it's been okay that Julia just usually gets to decide everything. Here's a conflict where it's not. Joel is not just going to be like, yep, you're right. We've spent a year with this kid and you can't do it. So we're not going to adopt him after all. 
You know, you can steamroll Joel into having a second kid that Joel didn't initially want. You can steamroll Joel into feeling guilty about working when you quit your job without having a conversation with him. You can do all kinds of things, Julia, but you cannot decide that this is too hard and we're giving Victor back. There's where Joel draws the line. And so I think that is a fascinating angle for this storyline. It's the one time I think that Joel's going to be like enough and what happens when he finally stands up to Julia, always getting what she wants. And while I felt sympathetic towards her and still do, that really is unacceptable. I mean, this is like a rough patch that she and Victor are having. And she has escalated it just as much, if not more, because she's the adult, you know? She is taking all of this behavior incredibly personally. And again, while I get that getting the cops called on you feels personal, when you look at it from his point of view and how traumatized he must be, I mean, Caleb, I I like so much of what you said, but I don't know if it's as simple as him being like trying to score one. You know, like I wonder if he's testing boundaries and trying to see like, what will it take to, for her to show me something like to try to get any sort of reaction out of her? Although I guess he's getting little reactions out of her. I mean, I guess I just don't know. I don't know why he's doing it, but it seems very clearly to me some sort of cry for help or like love. But that's a or, perfect reason to ask him why. You yeah. Know, as you said. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. not? <laughs> it's not clear. Ask. I think he might be trying. With... I think it's the, maybe the opposite. I think it might be like, okay, it's inevitable that these people aren't going to want me. Um, and let's I'm just hurry just, it along. Yeah. Like he hasn't had a good history of loving, supportive parents wow. who can provide everything for him. And he's acting out. I mean, I think among other things, I think part of it is just, he probably has behavioral issues any, anyways, from how he was raised and yeah. going, wow. I'm assuming from foster parent to foster parent. But yeah, I think the patience with him has to be way higher. Like they can't just treat him like they would treat Sydney. And they're not, they're even treating him worse than they treat Sydney. It's kind of ironic because I was going to say, yeah, and in a lot of ways they don't. They treat him better that I'm using sarcastic quote marks, you know, in Sydney's eyes because he gets to like not eat his Brussels sprouts. Leniency. Leniency, yeah. yeah. But Sydney is being treated consistently in a way that she knows that they love her unconditionally. And I think Joel is doing that with Victor. Although he does make missteps, like insist on being called dad and insist that. Yeah, Julia I feel is like called. Joel is right. way worse on that than he really. They were both. That. I screamed at the TV. You're not his mom, like so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if a kid said that to me once, even if the ultimate goal would be like, I would love to have a relationship with you, where at some point you call me mom. After the first time of the kid being like, I don't want to call you mom. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. I'm don't, Julia. Don't I'm, call I'm, me mom. I'm Great. Julia. Call and, me. Yeah. Yeah. I really do think it's strange that they've pushed that. I mean, I've I've used this comparison before, but in season one, when Crosby met Jabbar and Jabbar was five, he did not insist that Jabbar call him dad. He called him Crosby for the whole first season. And he is his biological dad. Right. (laughs) He waited until until Jabbar was like, what if I called you daddy? And Crosby's like, well, I would love that. And I'm like, that Mm -hmm. is what you should want, I think, for it to be the kid's choice. And I just think it's bonkers that... Crosby with all his flaws <laughs> so, and he's yeah. so much less together than Julia and Joel. Right. But somehow instinctively knew he should not press for that. Right. In a way that like he might have less of an image of perfection in his head. Yeah. Than Julia has, less entitled. Well, that's like how we find that yeah. Sarah's often kind of a better parent than yeah. all the other like put together the Julia's and Joel's and the Adam and Christina's because I don't think she has that same, like, here's what it looks like from the outside. And we have to fall directly into this 
picture perfect family. She's like, we're already not that. So like, (laughs) like, I'm going to just respond to my kids the way I feel like I should respond to them. That makes so much sense. I mean, I think you're exactly right. Crosby is not already a father when he meets Jabbar and he doesn't have it in his head. Like I deserve He kind of probably kind of doesn't want to be. Yeah. He's like, yeah, call me Crosby, man. This is heavy. What the hell is happening? Yeah. This is heavy. But I think that's so important. And it's, it's, you know, I've talked about this a little bit too. I mean, my brother is adopted. I don't know if you knew that, but he is um, also a different race, but he was adopted as a baby, like as an infant and he's 11 years older than I am. And so, you know, us being like, this is your brother. Like, yes, (laughs) I I never, um, you were here first. (laughs) Yeah. You were here first. I never questioned it or felt otherwise, but it's an entirely different thing. I think when you bring in a kid who has their own history and past and remembers it. And I think on the one hand, it could be seen as beautiful and giving to give someone love and, and a home, but you can't just act like I'm so great for doing this for him you know, you have to meet them where they are. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it does, it does run the risk of feeling white saviory, you know, it runs the risk of feeling condescending, instead of just loving. It's a, it's a very complicated, tricky situation in ways that I think I didn't even get in previous viewings, you know, I, I man, how hard for all of them, really, but, but mm-hmm. especially Victor, you know, I don't think it's only selfishness that's making them do that. Like, I think, they have good hearts and they're wanting to give him something. But if it's not easy, you can't just be like, all right, let's try with a different kid who like adjusts to our life better. <laughs> right. like, that's no. not how it works. And like no. they have a little bit of like, I don't know how long have they known Victor at this point? Probably a year. A year. So it was five months at the beginning of season four. And yeah, I don't know exactly. Right. Yeah. So. so like it takes time. And like if you're looking for it to just be a seamless transition, it's so unrealistic. It's not fair to the kid. Like if you're just fostering for a while and you haven't made the decision to adopt, then maybe don't make the decision to adopt. But if you've jumped on that decision, like, yeah, we're going to adopt him. You can't like go back, change your mind like because he has having some behavioral issues. Like, what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah. I was so glad earlier, Melissa, when you said that they're having a rough patch. And now that we're talking about how long it's been, because it's something that I feel like everyone was forgetting in the final conversation with Loretta. Well, it sounds to me like you're doing everything right. Oh, you have to be kidding me. It feels like we're doing everything wrong. You're trying. And that's what's important. I can give you tools and suggestions, but ultimately it it just takes time. Yeah, that's what everyone says. And I, I, we've been giving it time, but it, Honestly, it's just getting progressively worse. It's that's been getting not, worse. That's not true. It is not true. true, honey. I mean, he's made incredible strides at school. He's made plenty of new friends at baseball. Okay, can you I mean, not just look at one side of this? I'm not. Yes, I'm not you are. You're looking, leaving I'm all just... of the rest of it to me. At home, it's not working. He's acting out. And he threw a bat and almost hit our daughter. And he despises me. Julia, I need to know. Is not going through with the adoption something that you're considering? Of course not. Julia? I don't know if I can do it anymore. I weirdly thought of this book called The Righteous Mind by a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, and it's about moral reasoning. He says in the book that we think of our reasoning as being like an impartial umpire, just calling balls and strikes but that our reasoning is actually more like a press secretary that collects evidence to justify our gut intuition, and that we're very good at sort of that backwards 
reasoning. No, here's why I'm right. And I felt like Julia was doing that in this scene. You know, she says Joel's only looking at one side of things with Victor, but I think all of the examples she could point to of things getting worse are just from the last week or so. Yeah. She says things have been getting progressively worse. I'm like, only for the last 10 minutes. Up until then, I think everything was getting progressively better. Agreed. We've watched the whole season, and bit by bit, they were making strides, and there were plenty of bumps in the road. This is by far the worst. It's the biggest setback. And I get that she would feel overwhelmed by it. I'm not judging her for feeling that. I'm not even judging her for saying what she says in this scene because thinking about like what you said, Melissa, if she feels like she can't honestly voice those concerns or feelings to Joel, then that's a problem. Because I think she might just need to sort of work through them, but that they're not actually the position that she's taking. It, it's just, I need to deal with this doubt and this frustration, and and then I'll work it out and sort it out and get through it. But I think the evidence is actually overwhelming. They've made great progress with Victor. Yeah. But her gut is telling her something different in this moment. And so she's looking, what's the evidence to justify what I'm feeling right now? Mm -hmm. And it's skewing the whole thing. And I'm sure that's like a normal, like, I know none of us are parents, but I feel like that's got to be a normal thing of like, you know, if you have a baby and you've been up all night, every night for months and you don't sleep anymore and it's always crying and always this and that, that you have those moments of like, I don't think I can do it. Like, it's just been too hard. I don't think I can do it. And like, you kind of just need to let that out because no one's then going to go and be like, all right, well, we tried this whole baby thing. <laughs> Goodbye, baby. Work. Like you say those things and like, it's hard and you deal with it and then you move on and you've said it and it's great. But like that same thing applies here. And it just is like we've said before, Julia and Joel's lack of communication with each other that made it that the time that she was presented with the option to say that was in front of the social worker. Worst because she time. asked. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah. And I, I, yes, I think that's, this is it exactly. And Dylan, I'm starting to agree with you about everyone is wrong (laughs) because I feel like how can Joel in, when you look at it one way, how can Joel ever forgive her for this, for for denying their son in this way, Mm -hmm. like who he sees as their son, like we have made this commitment the way he doesn't even hesitate. Of course not. And that she has a huge, long pause hesitation and then says she doesn't think she can do it anymore. And what does he do? Leaves the room. He leaves the room. Rather than saying, that's really upsetting to me. Yeah. Also, like, if I were the social worker, even, like, when Joel says, of course not, and then there's any pause after that, I'd be like, I don't know if this is a great idea. Like, what's... Yeah. What does a social worker do in that situation where someone's clearly hesitating? You're absolutely right. But like, yeah, it's it's crazy to me because I get why Joel is so angry at Julia, but I also see why Julia would be so frustrated with Joel. She is not able to be her authentic self feeling her feelings because she knows it will piss him off and make him leave the room. It's part of why I asked if he left the room at the end of the last episode, I think, or it was, it. you just... The camera stays on Julia so you don't see, but I could have sworn that when she tries to say something about how frustrated she is with Joel, it looked to me like he got out of bed, but it the camera stayed on her. It was ambiguous. But I do think, okay, even if he didn't, he did it here. He left, like you said, Caleb, and yeah. doesn't ask her. The same way they don't ask Victor, why did you call the police? Yeah, he doesn't say that's upsetting to me or anything. And Mm -hmm. if you're not able to talk to each other about the hardest thing you've ever tackled as a couple together, I just, I mean, it just spells such disaster for me. I'm like, 
there are cracks in this relationship that I never noticed on previous rewatches ever. I'm like, this is huge. They've had many communication problems before, but this, I'm like, I, I don't see how they're so on opposite sides and they just can't. Yeah. They can't. Yeah. I feel like any combination of people in that family having any conversation in that episode would have helped so much. Like talk to Sydney. Yeah. Talk between the couple, talk to Victor and just like one hug, like hug this child one time mm-hmm. poor Victor like yeah. I was on his side the whole time like obviously I don't think you should act out in those ways but I was like this kid just wants some love from these people and they're showing him the exact opposite at every turn wow and you know as I was saying things were getting so much better this is all recent I think maybe that might explain why Victor is so hurt because he was really opening up I mean he and Julia the beginning of last episode, yeah. when she's like, I got an A, and she like tossles his hair. And even though, yes, he asks to show it to his mom, and that's awkward for her, I think it was a genuine moment of connection between them as well. I think Victor was feeling genuine affection towards Julia, and I think her reaction to the whole bat incident, if he feels like, oh, shit, I really put my trust in the wrong place, I thought Julia and I were making great strides, but I get pissed off one time and I throw a bat and yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And she hates me now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you're hurt by that, which who wouldn't be, then you might lash out and go, well, I'm going to hurt you too. And I'm going to say that my real mom got me the pancakes I like, and I won't eat your pancakes, even though I don't think Victor gives a fuck about the pancakes. Not really. I think he's showing his loyalty to his real mom. I think he's just trying to hurt her. Mm -hmm. You hurt me. I hurt you. Maybe so. And then hearing Julia in that last scene, she also said, he despises me. Okay, so they're both feeling like the other, the other one, one hates, hates them. them. <laughs> and I agree again. Well, you both said versions of this, but yeah, Victor's wrong too, but Victor's nine. Yes. <laughs> and Julia is an adult. And Joel is an adult. Yeah. So you got to be the adult. Yes. Put your ego aside. Yes. And the thing is, I think once they do, Victor's resistance would probably wear down pretty fast. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. he just got alarmed by the reaction to this accident. I don't even think she has to even put like her ego and all those feelings aside. I think it's super helpful for kids to see adults in their lives have different feelings, which is what we were getting at with Joel's talk to him at the end of like, you hurt us. Right. You hurt us of Julia being able to check on Victor, see how he's feeling while at the same time telling him how she's feeling. Yeah. Like her having any effect at all from how he's treating her shows that she cares about him. You know what I mean? If she was like, I don't care about you. You're just like scum. Anything he says won't hurt her. The reason it hurts her is because she loves him and wants that connection. But she's not showing him. Yeah. No, she's got to show him her feelings as well and ask for his. I feel like there's, yeah, the lack of, Lack of communication, for sure. Wow, that's really powerful. And like vulnerability with Mm -hmm. each other. Yeah, like I'll share how I'm feeling and how I'm scared and how I'm sad and how I'm worried about how you think of me because that's a human thing to feel. And if you're feeling any of those things, you are welcome to share them with me. I hope we can talk to each other when we feel these things. Those are normal human feelings. I actually think Julia's done a really great job with him up until this conflict. You know, I, I got think, it. You know, she has I got a rewatch. <laughs> well, I just did feel like saying that because, like, I mean, I think she's really advocated for him. And, you know, I mean, she quit her job for him. And, and that was really more for him than Sydney. She never did that before, although that caused Sydney to start acting out. Like, but, you know, I mean, I think she has put him first in many, many ways. But she's really missed the mark on this one. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I just think 
for whatever reason, and maybe it was that the bat just scared her in a way that I almost wish the show would explore. He's a boy who isn't white, and she is now acting like she's scared of him, like he's a threat. He could have hurt Sydney. He's, you know, bringing the police into our home. Like, I don't know. It's a really interesting thing, and may maybe I'm way out, but I mean, I feel like she's not seeing him as a little boy right now. There was even a, a scene at the very beginning of this season where she said sometimes she forgets he's a little boy, you know? Like, like it's only when he shows vulnerability that she looks at him and is like, oh, he's just a little boy. But I think sometimes she forgets that. And maybe she mm -hmm. forgets that while she's like, like Caleb, you keep saying how they're like feuding each other and it's like a one-upsmanship. You're fighting a child, lady. Like you gotta, right. you know, it's like she forgets that or something. Anyway. Fascinating discussion. Dylan, I'm so glad you're on for many reasons, but I really think you made me think about things I've never thought about before. So I'm really grateful to you. Thank you. Wow, I'm so glad. <laughs> you go right into the guest hall of fame. Woo. Well, let's discuss Adam and Christina. Okay. The first thing I loved in their exploration of puberty with Max was that Max had no interest in taking a shower mm -hmm. or in anything that they were saying until they started giving him data. Yeah. And they said, your sweat glands are behaving differently because you're older now. Interesting. Tell me more. I liked that very much. Mm -hmm. I did too, because I thought it was just a great example of, I mean, it's something I've wondered before. Like when he seemed indifferent to Christina's side effects from chemo, I thought he's so intelligent. Couldn't you talk to him about how chemo works? And what the body's response might be. He would have been and interested almost in that turn angle. it into like a scientific observation. Let's see what effects mom has. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's meeting him where he is. Yeah. And then maybe making him more inclined to engage with it rather than mom, where's the nachos? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so here it was that was clearly their way in. Okay, he's interested in puberty from a scientific point of view. He doesn't seem to really care about how it's going to affect his day-to-day -day life. Yeah. But he'll hear you if you talk about the science. I thought that was great. Yeah. I also loved, mostly just for comedic value. Oh, my God. This scene. Yeah. Hi, ho. Hey, guys. Hi. Got brownies. Oh, hey, Max. How's it going, much. kid? Hi, Grandpa. I have pubic hair. <laughs> oh, wait. What? There you go. All right. Max, we're not really supposed to talk about that at dinner. Well, it's not dinner yet. We're going to talk about that later. The internet said that girls begin puberty at their first menses. That's right. But I don't know what that is. It also said that boys start at their first ejaculation. Correct. Hey, buddy. I haven't ejaculated yet. Well, well. Yeah, it won't be long. It says that the internet says that when I do, I will begin to see girls in a new and exciting way. Oh, that's a whole new world is going to open up for you, Max. Believe you and me, he started ejaculating. Okay. Do you ejaculate, Grandpa? No, Max. No, whenever he possibly ejaculate? Yeah. Man, do I ever? I tell you. Well, it's pasta. This is not appropriate. I want to have this conversation alone. I saw four kids through puberty, and you know, I can tell you nothing's appropriate. Well, you know, the key is to just act like everything's normal because it is. Have you had a wet dream yet? What's a wet dream? Is there water involved? No, no, no. A wet dream is when during the night and the sheets are slippery. Adam, folks are here. Meals great. Yeah. yeah. She was dealing with it exactly as I think you should deal with this. Yeah. I loved how comfortable they were. And two episodes ago, we learned a little tidbit about Christina, which is that she is from Ohio. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but to me, this would happen in Berkeley. <laughs> a parent 
raised in the Midwest would want to talk about this in hushed tones behind closed doors. And two grandparents in Berkeley would be like, yeah, puberty, what's the big deal? Pubic hair, wet dreams. Let's get Menzies. into it. This is what our grandson Great. wants to talk about. Yeah. And I, I just thought it was a really honest, not even conflict, but like clash. It was funny yeah. how uncomfortable Christina was and how comfortable they were. I loved it. And Dylan, you were saying that you think Camille was like totally right just to like. Yeah, I think for any kid, that's a really good approach because it makes it First of all, you know, you can go to grandma Camille for any, <laughs> any questions you need, anything like your grandparents are, they're making it clear that they're there to answer questions. They're an open book. They don't mind talking about this stuff. And for any kid, just like getting rid of the taboo of it all, because mm-hmm. as she yeah. says, like, it's all normal stuff and not, no, not if it's appropriate, but like it happens and this is how we talk about it. And that's how you make kids who are comfortable talking to their parents about this stuff and who are yeah. comfortable later in life with their own bodies and anything about that Um, but I think especially with Max who like he's not even embarrassed by like it's a different dynamic with if you're talking to Hattie and Hattie's like oh dad mom I don't want to hear about this stuff from you like I'll talk to my friends whatever but Max doesn't care yeah so just talk to him be straight up about it he likes facts he likes science that's all it is it's just biology and physiology and yeah don't make it taboo I loved the scene too I thought it was so funny and I was really torn because I agree with you both. Camille was right. You know, (laughs) like I think Christina, there's no need to be embarrassed. You know, it's family, like, you know, no big deal. Although Caleb, yeah, I loved what you said. That does contextualize it. Like Midwest, we've we've all been brought up that way. My mom would say the exact same thing that Christina was saying. But I did think it was a little condescending when Camille was like, oh, well, we've had four children go through puberty. You know, nothing's appropriate. Like, like kind of talking down to Christina about how to parent a little bit, which I didn't love because I'm like, well, Christina has had a child go through puberty and she's having another one go through it right now. And so that was the one misstep I thought where, or maybe it wasn't a misstep. I mean, maybe it's just a fascinating peek behind the curtain at their relationship because we do get these little glimmers. They fight pretty often or bicker or like disagree, I guess. And I think that is a real trigger for Christina is being like sort of talked down to when she's like, I, I'm a good mother. I know what I'm doing. But I also think Camille never means for it to come across that way. Yeah. And so that's interesting to me. Well, and it's a trait we know of Camille's. She's a little know-it-all-ish. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but she's yeah. usually right, too. I, I almost always think she's right. So it is a little tricky when the know-it-all is also right. <laughs> like, what do you do with that? And if you're Christina, it probably drives you nuts. But... <laughs> And also, they were, Max started it. <laughs> you know, no, like, I was thinking the same the thing. Other, you know, like, they walked in and Max said, I have pubic hair. Yeah, so they went I, with I it. Felt like, right, like, it would have been way worse if they were like, oh, no, we don't want to hear about that. Like, especially right. for Max, he needs to be able to come to people if he's confused about something in his body. And he might not learn about that from talking to friends. And he needs to be able to talk about that stuff, I think she dealt with it perfectly like oh great congratulations yeah well done (laughs) but also I noticed this every time it was brought up which was like three times they were like you'll start feeling differently about girls Girls. I mean every single time and I was like what if he's gay right exactly and or asexual or anything like it's it should be a physiological thing not his sexual feelings towards a specific gender also even when Max said he wouldn't feel that way like what if that was like I know it was it wasn't that, but like, if he wanted to come out to his dad or something, I was like, oh no, I, I trust me, I won't feel that way about girls and wanted his next sentence to be like, 
I've been feeling that way about boys in my class. And Adam's just like, trust me, you will, you will hundred percent. Like that's setting him up to potentially feel like something's wrong with him. If he doesn't for any reason, like it, girls shouldn't be involved. It's very outdated definition of what a boy going through puberty is. I wrote in my notes, I find it interesting that they keep saying Max would develop feelings for girls. They never question whether he's straight. You know, is that typical for the time or for now? Like I, that was what I really wondered. I was like, would it be a different conversation if the show were being filmed now? Like, do you think somebody would have been like, hey, we should stop just saying girls all the time? I think 100%. I also yeah. think the Google result would be like, if you looked it up in a book or oh, on the yeah. internet or whatever, if you look it up on yeah. the internet now, it probably isn't like, going through puberty for a boy means you will be feeling differently towards girls. Like yeah. it will probably be more inclusive language. I would hope. I would at hope this point. too. It didn't bug me. The, the first few times it didn't bother me. And in general, it doesn't. Cause I think, well, you know, in terms of statistically speaking, yeah, he's probably going to have feelings for girls. I don't get bent out of shape about it, but by the end of the episode, I couldn't deny that it was like grating <laughs> on me a little, <laughs> Yeah, especially for him. You know, I think most kids, by the time they reach puberty, even though they're not like sexual feelings, a lot of kids will have indicated some interest in a, in a certain direction by that point. And mm -hmm. it seems like Max has never done that. Right. And that makes sense because Max is not very interested in people in general. Right. So to me, it just seemed like, you know, the jury is especially out on him. You yeah. have no evidence of like, well, he's always chasing after the girls right. in his class. No, he's not. No. So, yeah, maybe you need to be a little more open around this issue. When I look back on puberty, I do think that's where some genuine confusion stems from. I was feeling attraction to boys, but was never told in right. a science class or health class, anything from a scientific perspective that that was even a possibility. Mm -hmm. So then, bam, it's instantly abnormal in my mind. And then even if I thought a girl was just pretty, not like in a sexual way, but just like noticing, right. like, hey, that girl is pretty, then I'm confused. Well, does this mean I'm attracted to her? Is this right. what attraction feels like? Do I want to date her? And then I think it creates confusion when a lot of times I think that feelings are actually not that confusing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was not confused about how I felt about boys. Right. <laughs> well, know. that is such a privilege, right? To being straight is that it is presented as what's normal. So then, yeah, like if I thought a girl was pretty, which I did all the time, I mean, all of us notice beauty in the world. And <laughs> in fact, sometimes it was like normalized to feel jealous of pretty girls. So that's a whole other unhealthy message, right? <laughs> um, so I never thought I was attracted to them, but they were my enemy. Well, what? It's all fucked up. Um, <laughs> but I do think that's so interesting that probably the reason this got unchecked was like the fact that it was a decade ago, which makes a huge difference, I think. But also it was probably written by straight people and, you know, Max's parents are straight and the actors playing them are straight. Like I just, you know, if there's no one in the room with a different lived experience saying, wait, hold up, you know, that, that's why representation matters so much because then you might catch stuff like that because mm -hmm. somebody in the room would catch it as opposed right. to, yeah. Like it's one thing for him to read that online or on a book or whatever. Then you develop different feelings for girls. But then someone, I, I think nowadays, even if you read that yeah. somewhere, someone would be there to be like, or whoever. Right. Like, 
Yeah. Doesn't yeah. have to be girls. But instead, it felt like Adam and Zeke were really imprinting on Max their own mm-hmm. experiences with sexual awakenings. And so, like, when Adam's talking to Max, it's not really talking to him. It's, like, reflecting. And I actually thought that Adam did a great job in that scene, but now I'm, like, reevaluating. <laughs> because I thought he was, you know, when he's, like, saying to him, yeah, well, when I was your age, it was new and exciting feelings and mysterious you know and it was he's just like remembering what it was like for him and Zeke does the same thing with like oh boy I I remember when I started ejaculating have you had a wet dream yet and they have their own ways where Adam's like romanticizing it and like making girls mysterious beings which I also don't really like um because <laughs> we're just people just like you but yeah I think that probably the main reason nobody brings it up is because neither of them are gay they're both straight they're not you know bi or asexual or anything they're they're straight and so yeah they are using Max's experience to think about their own I didn't feel that way about no okay that. I I thought the talk was great and I felt like when they were talking about their own experiences I interpreted it more as, this is something we share. You can identify mm. with me. You know, you're not the first person who will go through this. I went through it. I felt like Adam's talk was pretty unemotional and pitched right where Max could understand mm-hmm. it. I liked that. And I also, I liked his distinguishing between emotional feelings and sexual feelings because I think it's a delineation that actually for a kid like Max about to be going through that to understand it's something that happens in your body mm-hmm. not more your just, mind but yeah yeah i mean it's it, it's almost like unbidden you will mm. feel these feelings yeah it can spark emotions for sure but it seemed like a nice distinction especially for someone who i think is probably a little wary of emotional feelings yeah i also really loved how Adam reacted to Max announcing his own boundary. Like, I'm not ready to talk about this yet. Yeah. I thought he responded with no judgment and was very respectful. And and I I thought you got to listen to kids when they say something like that. Like there's this story of my dad, when I was little, my parents spanked us. Not a lot. And it wasn't punishment per se. I think I've talked about this before, but they had, they had very um, specific instances when they would use it. And it was not like, uh oh, you got a D at school, bend over my knee. And not, no, it was like in the moment to stop behavior immediately. And um, the story goes I don't remember this, but I was very small and I, well, I don't know what I had done, but I had gotten spanked. And then my dad was telling me, you know, here's why I spanked you, here's what you did that was inappropriate or whatever. And then I said, I understand that. I don't think parents should hit little kids. And he felt, he says he was kind of gobsmacked by a child sort of stepping back from the situation and generalizing out to parents, not just you, but parents should not hit kids. And he felt like anyone who can articulate that point deserves to have it (laughs) respected. (laughs) And so I was not spanked after that. That's a cool story. Yeah. That is a yeah, cool and, story. Smart kid. And I felt like that was kind of what was happening with Max a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and it did, it kind of gobsmacked me watching. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, Max knows what he's ready for and what he's not. I was so yeah. proud of him. I think for Adam, good. I was proud of Max and yeah. I was proud of Adam. But yeah. then also in other parts of the episode when Adam's like, oh, I didn't like when Hattie started liking boys. Like, I, what do you say? Like, it still <laughs> makes my skin crawl or something like that. I was like, yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Like I can't get behind that parenting of like, I want my kid to never touch anyone sexually ever. Like then your kid's going right. to be an unhappy outcast. Like, yeah, just yeah. let your kid, I don't know. It's such a weird. <laughs> yeah. You're singing Melissa's song. <laughs> that has been my biggest struggle. I think this entire rewatch is Adam's behavior about Hattie. I mean, it's like the whole reason I have such different feelings about Adam. Like every time she mm -hmm. dated, I felt like his reaction was deeply unhealthy. And every time. Yeah. Every, every time. Yeah. And for, for that exact reason, like, and, and I've, I've even gone off on like tangents about how I find it upsetting when parents in general will say like, you know, no one's ever going to be good enough for my little boy or, you know, the jokes about sitting by the door with the rifle for the boyfriend who comes over. I'm like, this is all toxic shit. It's all horrible. Like, and it shows like if Hattie were to ever be in the position that Drew's girlfriend yes, was in, yes. she would not be able to come to her parents no. for that kind of stuff because they have made it such a closed door for yeah. conversations like that. Absolutely. And I got to say, it was so fascinating to hear Adam say to Christina, I hated Hattie dating, but I, I do hope that Max will have that someday. You know, what? how would it be different if Hattie, the girl, were the one on the spectrum and the boy weren't? And so he was just having your heteronormative, like, you know, experience mm -hmm. of going after girls and dating. And would Adam just be proud the way he was been proud of like Drew, you know, in previous episodes? Would he be relieved that Hattie wouldn't be maybe having sex as early? Like, do you know what? Like, and maybe that's going yeah. too far, but it is an interesting thing to wonder. I am glad that he was like, but I do want Max to have that someday. And I'm like, I hope that you then are able to reflect that back to Hattie and think I'm glad she's having experiences, you know, and, and mm -hmm. having love and heartbreak and all the all the things a person is supposed to have separate from them being your little girl frozen in time forever, you know? And, and right. uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. Cause also Hattie is growing up a very conventionally attractive yes. female teenager, which I think Adam is viewing as like makes her a target for mm. something that scares him. Yeah. And Max is growing up with something that Adam in one way or another, I think might see as an affliction or like mm -hmm. an impediment to him having those relationships. Yeah. So I think he sees Hattie as like, well, she's susceptible to this category of hurt. And Max is going to be challenged to make those kinds of connections. And I don't know where the end of this thought is, but <laughs> I see what you mean, that it's mixed in and jumbled with these other some gender issues and right. There's definitely the like difference have. in raising the neurotypical versus the neurodiverse kid. And then yeah. differences in how he would raise a boy versus a girl. And like any combination of those, I think yeah. you'd still see like no consistency. I remember in our very first episode with Amy, uh, Drew, you know, Drew's Amy, I simultaneously loved how cute it was them sort of getting together and the whole family sort of like it was like Sarah and Zeke and everybody sort of like spying on them and it was just presented as so cute but I was also really harboring some resentment at how when Alex came around to date Hattie no one's just hiding in the bushes being like oh are they gonna kiss is this is this good it was instead like don't come near our daughter and it was like or even Steve I mean it even, was yeah, yeah it was true. not like a, oh fun yeah and I that was so it was more fun than Alex. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, and so it just it really that bothered me, and I was like, you know, I kind of want to see Amy going home and her dad being like, "Who the hell is this?" and like right. treating Drew the same way that they treated Steve and and Alex, right? Because 
they're someone's son too. And I don't know. It just, it's a, well, we do have Amy's dad in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Cop that attitude, but it's clearly a joke. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. (laughs) Well, let's go on to Drew and Amy. Yeah. My first question is, are you happy Bill they don't show the consequences. O'Reilly, <laughs> Amy's pregnant. Yeah. Here are the consequences. And I was curious about, are these the consequences of teenagers having sex? So according to Pew Research, in 2013, the estimated teen pregnancy rate per 1,000 females aged 15 to 19 was 43.4. Out of 1,000. Out of 1,000. Okay. 43.4 females ended up pregnant. And pregnant... So that includes births, miscarriages, stillbirths, and abortions. It's the pregnancy rate, not how many babies are showing up. So according to the CDC, from 2011 to 2013, 44% of female teenagers, 15 to 19, had experienced sexual intercourse. So I feel like, you know, less than half of teenagers are even having sex. Wow. And of that half who are having sex... 4.3% are ending up with a pregnancy. So to say they don't show the consequences, the consequences of most teenagers having sex is not getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. So just put it in perspective, Bill. Them showing this on the show is like the outlier. Right. And the 4.3% is probably unnecessarily high based on bad sex education, bad relationships with parents being able to ask for birth control or buy condoms if they don't have their own money to do those things. Or, you know, so many things that could actually make that way less, even though it's only 4.3%. I think it could be way lower if it was, again, a less taboo subject and taught more accurately. You're so right. Well, Dylan, as you said earlier, if you don't create an atmosphere with your children where they feel like they can talk to you about sexual things, then they're not going to talk to you about sexual things. And I think even kids like Drew and Amy, who I'm guessing were raised in pretty sex positive households, they still are reluctant to talk yeah. about it because it it's extremely private and there is still shame attached or embarrassment or who knows. And I found in this scene, the use of her pregnancy as like this secret they're desperate to keep, it it almost feels cheap in a way, except that I think it is how teenagers would feel. And it would make it such an awful experience to go through. You really didn't have to come. Yeah, I know, but you just left school and I didn't even know where you went. I just couldn't be there, you know? Yeah. uh, Where did you go? called Planned Parenthood, and I made an appointment for Wednesday before school. What do you mean, an appointment for what? Like, a, like an abortion? No. no, 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 I just, they have to confirm the pregnancy before I can do anything okay. about it, so. Well, you said Wednesday before school? Yeah. All right, I'll go with you. You're not going through this but alone. it's, it's just know, like a I consultation or something. Tell your parents? I don't know. They just like to see me this certain way. Is he coming over? Hey. Hey, sweetheart. Hey Hey there. Hey, Drew. What are you doing out here with my daughter? (laughs) Hey, Drew. It's good to see you. Yeah, you too. I've been fine. Yeah. Staying out of trouble? Yeah. How's uh, how's your senior year going? It's fine. It's just, you know, super busy and. Good. Stay at it. It's important. I know. Come in, we got some pizza. No, he's 
Yeah, I, I can. I have to do like homework. Change your mind. You're always welcome. Great. Okay. Thanks. I have to go. All right. Well, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. I definitely want to go on Wednesday. So. See you tomorrow. Just real quick, I gotta say it. It does almost make me furious because, like, I'm remembering Adam saying to Alex, you know, wear a condom, and like. Alex never gets Hattie pregnant, you know? And it's like, this dad is, because Drew is the Braverman, you know? Like, so, oh, he's not a threatening boy the way that the boys who dated Hattie are threatening boys. And so Drew is having a lovely experience with the dad, you know, of the girl he's dating, even though he does get her pregnant. Like, mm -hmm. that is fascinating. Anyway. Also, in, in all the scenarios, it is like this person getting this person pregnant, where it's also just like, they got pregnant. pregnant. Like You're they, right. You're right. They yeah. had that, like, yeah. the fact that it, for sure, if Hattie had gotten pregnant, that is Alex's fault. Right. Like, from the point of view of Hattie's parents, that has nothing to do with Hattie. It was done to her, even though it was consensual. Right. And it was, Alex got you pregnant, would have been the phrasing. I'm fairly certain. You're so right. Um, yeah. But, and same for this. It's like, Drew did this thing to Amy. Mm -hmm. No, they did this thing and this happened. And now let's deal with it. Actually, but. doesn't Amber say something like that? She says, like, this happens. Oh, yeah. Well, she dealt yeah. with everything yeah. perfectly. Like, <laughs> yeah. She was, I, I loved her. Response. I was also struck in that scene about, like, throwaway lines, like, staying out of trouble. If they weren't hiding this pregnancy, that would just be a completely innocuous line that you they see wouldn't Drew's think face, of at though. all. He's like, but, oh, yeah, God. then He's Drew's like... face is like, oh, shit, does he somehow know? Right. He must know because he said staying out of trouble, even though, no, that's just a thing you say. My favorite throwaway that. line was when she looked at her dad and said, he just sees me in a certain way. And I just thought that was a yeah. fascinating thing to say. And it really did tie into like Adam's weirdness <laughs> with Hattie and stuff. But it also strangely didn't feel as gendered as some of the other stuff. Like, I don't know, to me, it also felt like just a loss of innocence that any kid would have, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, yeah, the same way that maybe Sarah sees Drew a little differently. So it doesn't have to just be. Yeah. yeah. Or even I wonder... Throughout like the Omicron surge, I've heard some people advocating for destigmatizing testing positive for COVID. You'll hear things like, well, I did everything right. You know, I've been wearing my mask and I got vaccinated and boosted and I've been distancing and I still got it. It happens. I mean, like you said, Dylan, it's not something that someone does to you. And getting COVID is not a sign of, well, you failed. You took all these measures and you failed. No, it happens. It's a thing. Sometimes you can do everything you're supposed to do and it still happens. And that's not a reflection on you as a person. And so I think even if Amy, we don't know what her dynamic with her parents is, but even if it's just like, if I show up pregnant, then it's like, I didn't follow all the rules they've been telling me all these years about how to be safe, even though sometimes it just happens. You know, it, it doesn't mean you're a bad girl, you know? Yeah. And similar boy. with like, comparing COVID and getting <laughs> pregnant, <laughs> there's only so much the individual can do. You know, if you're going to the grocery store, wear a mask. If you're going to have sex, use some form of birth control. I don't know. Yeah. But it is up to like everyone else to make it like if the rules around COVID were stricter and if sex ed was taught more accurately, yeah. then you get fewer of the individual people being blamed for the results of something. Yeah. yeah. If you're blaming an individual for getting COVID, that's ridiculous. It should be 
well, I had to go to work because the government is making me still go in to teach in-person classes or whatever the thing is. And I did everything right. And I still (laughs) got it. Like that shouldn't affect on the person that's way out of their control. Yeah. Fascinating. Another scene where not a whole lot is really said, but that I thought was just spectacular was when Sarah talks to Drew or Mm -hmm. tries to talk to Drew. And in this storyline, this is where I felt like Drew was sort of in the Jasmine slot or the Joel slot. It felt to me like Drew was actually dying to talk to someone and would have been willing to talk to his mom. But I felt like he also seemed respectful of Amy's privacy and realized I can't just talk to my mom about this thing that really Amy is going through. Yeah. And I am just sort of peripherally involved I think he did a great job because he was he was being there for Amy and he wasn't like he's going through a lot, too. That is, yeah. without a doubt, hard on him, too. He is not just a bystander in this. Like he's directly involved. Whatever she chooses affects him directly. But he wasn't putting his feelings about it on Amy, who's already caring enough of her own feelings and going through a lot. Yeah. And so it was definitely bottled up because he didn't want to put that all on Amy. And now he had yeah. nowhere to go to talk about all that stuff, whereas in the other relationships that we talked about in the past, they <laughs> should be talking to their partners about what they're going through and they're not. Yeah. I think in this That's case, a good distinction. Drew was yeah. making the right decision to not put that on her. Yeah. And as a result, he kind of had nowhere to go. Yeah, which oh, I just felt so bad for him and was also blown away by Miles Heiser in the whole episode, how he conveyed all of that and made it look so natural and like not actory, not showy. I find him to be such an interesting actor. He's so unaffected to the point where I think some people might find him boring, but I think he's the opposite. I just feel Mm -hmm. like he's like still waters running incredibly deep and you don't see it very often, but then when you do get glimpses of it, it really has an impact. Yeah, I agree. And I thought Skylar Day was incredible too. I was like, yeah, there's so, I mean, she's really not a character we know much about. We really have no idea why she broke up with Drew at the beginning of the season and then sort of gave up her like hunky older boyfriend to go back with Drew other than he was like kind of talking about Christina's cancer. But I'm like, that can't be the whole reason you broke up with your other boyfriend (laughs) and got back with, yeah, I hope not. Jeez. And other than like, we don't really know if the whole reason she wants space from Drew at the end is because she got pregnant or if she's like kind of upset that they're back together at all when she had broken up with him. I feel like there's a whole world there that we're not really privy to. And instead of feeling terribly frustrated about it, I felt like Skylar Day filled in a lot of those blanks with her performance. You know, I I just thought, boy, she is giving a lot of complexity to a character that we don't know very well, even after a year and a half. And I thought that was really well done. Yeah. One little silly PS for that scene between Drew and Sarah he tells her it's about college and that he's just stressed about college. And she says something like, and you know, even if you don't get in where you want to go, it's all going to be okay. And I thought, where was this attitude about college? But with Amber, Amber? She did like, it'll in. all be okay. I mean, maybe Sarah learned a lesson from how she <laughs> yeah. handled Amber and yeah. applied it to Drew. But I, you know, it's also it's a she shame. definitely think, sees herself more in Amber. And, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, Drew probably is going to be more okay than That's it seems true like too. Amber like, was. There you go. <laughs> Amber was a little more off the rails. Well, what did you think of Drew in this scene? Well, there's only one option, right? 
And the doctor said I could get an appointment as early as tomorrow. So. Yeah, I mean, she said that we, we have time, though, to think about it, like a, a week, she said. To think about what? That's not the only option. I have this baby, my life is over. It doesn't have to be over. Yes. No, it doesn't. Yes. We could start a life. Like, I can go to college, I can get a job, you know? There's plenty of people that would be willing to help us. And I love you, and that's all that matters. Like, obviously, I'm gonna support you no matter what. That's all I'm saying. And I wanna make this work, but... I just don't want you to think that I'm not there for you if you decided to keep it, that's all. I need help coming up with the money. Okay. There is a storyline in Friday Night Lights, same creator, that never sat well with me. This character, Jason Street, he gets paralyzed playing football. And I think it's the second season he gets someone pregnant. It's like a one-night stand that's not his girlfriend. And he basically forces her to have the baby. I mean, like, he, he like, visits her and is like, I didn't even think this was possible. This might be my only chance to have a child. She was totally not going to go through with this. And he, like, talks her into it. And I was always like, okay, what? I mean, it's, she ended up having that baby. And then the show, like, and I love Friday Night Lights, but then the show sort of rewards them and they, like, get married. <laughs> they raise this kid. And I'm like... That doesn't feel like what would happen, you know? She would maybe, I, I, I don't know. It just thought that was so interesting. And so I thought this was an interesting, like, point-counterpoint. Like, I could imagine some people saying that Drew shouldn't have even said what he said to Amy there. Like, maybe he's pressuring her. I personally felt like it was a pretty good balance where he was letting her know, if that's a choice you make, I, I here are the ways I would try and want to make it work and I just want you to know I would be here but then when she says I need help coming up with the money he says okay so I I liked it you know I I mean I I think it's good that it's Amy's choice but I don't think that that means he doesn't express any sort of opinion you know I I think that it would probably be a mistake to just say nothing because what if she's on the fence what if she ha doesn't have her mind totally made up? I mean, it's probably good for her to just know where he is. And then when it turns out, oh, okay, I said where I am and you've still made your choice, he said, okay. And so I think that to me is the really important thing that he didn't talk her into it, which I have seen on Friday Night Lights. And I now I'm realizing Party of Five as well. There was a character who got someone pregnant and she was going to have an abortion. And he was like, don't do it. It's my baby too. And the whole thing was like... And then they have it. And it, I don't know. I think it's really good that it was Amy's choice. Okay. That's enough for me. What did you two think? <laughs> I agree with that. I think Drew didn't push anything. He wasn't like, here, let me make the points for why this is a better idea. He wasn't even saying better. He was saying, you're saying that's the only option. The doctor said it's not the only option. And we have a week to decide. And here's the other stuff. I think obviously it was very naive of him to be like, oh, yeah. we can start a life together. Like yes. he lives with his mom who lives with her parents. <laughs> and then a baby would be. He is, <laughs> yeah, 17. Like, I don't know how you think you're going to Four generations was, being. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it was God. like proof to me that like, you probably shouldn't, but yeah. that aside, just 
presenting that idea and not in a way that was pressuring at all. And like you said that he was like, I just want you to know whatever route you wanted to go, I am supportive and I will be there by your side. And then he proves that because she makes her decision and he's like, okay. Yeah. And it shows also like, there's this horrible view that I think a lot of like pro-lifers have that people who are pro-choice or who have had abortions are like, well, we just get pregnant and then it's fine because then you just get an abortion. And like, you don't need birth control because as long as you get pregnant, you can always get an abortion, easy peasy, go get your abortion, then go to work and do whatever. It's like, it takes an emotional toll on everyone involved. Like you can see how heartbroken it is for both of them just in that scene. And that's just on that day. Like who knows the next day, who knows a week after that? Like, it's not something that people do just like willy nilly as a solution to getting pregnant every week. (laughs) Like just a more realistic (laughs) view of the people who get abortions have hearts and emotions and it's not always an easy decision. And I think also there's, you hear like, can get an abortion or you can put the baby up for adoption. And what's in between that time, depending on what choice you make is nine months of pregnancy for this girl who is in school and young and scared. Like it's a toll on your body. It's a toll on your friendships and your relationship and the rest of your life, depending on what you do with the baby. Um, But even if it's just like, oh, you'll put your baby up for adoption. There's an emotional toll for that as well. And there's the pregnancy, which is to me, terrifying. (laughs) Like I am, that's like one of the reasons I'm still deciding whether I want kids is because that part of it sounds terrifying. Yeah. And to have that just be like, oh, don't get an abortion. It's fine. Just do your nine months of pregnancy and then put the kid up for adoption. That affects Amy and that does not affect Drew. And I think that was good that she brought that up mm-hmm. and that he clearly recognized it was okay for him to give an opinion and share his feelings, but it was ultimately her decision. Yeah. I liked how that was portrayed. Well, now that you're saying it, it's kind of nice that last season we had a season-long arc where we watched a pregnant mother preparing to have her baby be adopted. Yeah. And so to think like, oh, Amy, just go through what Zoe went through. Right. Well, what Zoe went through was not a walk in the park. Yeah. I think it is a nice illustration that it's not consequence-free yet to just, right. oh, I'll just gestate the baby, <laughs> birth it, and then go on with my day. Yeah. Right. But I do think like in terms of these topics, the show does a pretty good job of just showing like from having someone wanting to adopt, someone wanting to put their kid up for adoption and then kind of changing their mind, someone getting pregnant when they don't want to, Crosby's girlfriend at the very beginning having the sperm, um, doing a sperm donor. Like it's pretty accurate for a show called Parenthood to discuss all the different ways people can become parents or choose not to become parents at a certain time. Yeah, That's smart that they kind of showed a whole bunch of different scenarios, even within just looking at one family. Yeah. And my opinion on Drew expressing his opinion was exactly the same as both of you said. And I am even more impressed by him saying what he said almost as a, like, just putting it out there. Here's how I would react if you're feeling like you want to keep it, but you don't want to voice that in case you think I won't be supportive. I will be supportive. I think that is enriched by learning what his actual opinion is in his scene with Amber. So first of all, don't worry about the money, okay? I'm going to get it for you. It's not I'm a problem. Sorry, I'm asking you for it. Drew, I, don't think I any just... more about it, okay? How's Amy? Is she all right? No, she's... She's, like, shut down. I just feel so stupid, you know? Like, it's my fault, and I... 
True. It happens, but it's gonna be okay. I promise, okay? I mean, how are you feeling? I just... I just don't want to go through with it, you know? I don't know. I don't... I don't want to... Um... You know, I don't want to give it up, but... I'm trying to respect how she feels. It's just hard. Amy's gonna be fine. You're gonna yeah. be fine, okay? That's the part that made me tear up, for sure. Dylan, you said something that really resonates when when you're like that some people who are pro-life think that it's just so easy peasy. You're, the, that scene, I mean, that is such a complex portrayal of this. And I thought the show handled it incredibly well and loved that. Yeah, I love that scene. I thought that yeah. was the only scene where I was like, yes, both of you, yes. <laughs> you did everything right. Amber is such a great character because she, you know, she's the troubled teen at the beginning, but like she's so much more mature than pretty much everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and dealt with this. So like she was such a parent to him in the scene and said exactly, I think, what he needed to hear. And he, yeah, that crying was like the best acting I've seen from him on the show for sure. Oh, yeah. Really good. Their connection is so special. Yes. And I thought this scene, it also felt like imbued with all the traumas they've shared before, mm-hmm. you know, it just in, in their growing up with the father they had. And I, I just, I felt like that was palpable in that scene too. And I also, I feel like some people might bristle at an abortion storyline that's mostly centered on the father. I mean, Amy is in the episode. It's not like she's not there, but we're not seeing who are the, her friends that she's confiding True. in, if any. What's going on inside her house? And on one hand, I think, well, Amy's a guest star and Drew is a main character. So we're focused on the Bravermans. But I also kind of think it's an example of parenthood tackling an unoriginal storyline from an original perspective. Yeah. Although, Melissa, you have all these other examples, but it, all, it sounds like in those examples the outcome is the quote unquote happy ending right. where they keep the baby because that is thumbs up. And I think that's its own kind of narrative. <laughs> and I kind of hate yeah. it then. Cause it sounds like the guys are supposed to maybe come off looking like the heroes, like the guy saved yeah. the fetus. Saved the baby and, and talked to the woman who was going to just callously. Yeah. They yeah. were both presented in a way that I just hated so much. Yeah. And I thought, what a beautiful portrayal. Like you like you said, Caleb, it was really enhanced knowing how desperately Drew wanted this baby. And some people would probably watch this episode and think Amy is terrible. No, that is not what we're supposed to take from this. It is Amy's choice. And Drew did the right thing by putting her needs and feelings above his own. Yeah, what a I selfless, agree. beautiful thing. And not even telling her what his real opinion was, but couching it in a yeah you know here's what will happen if you decide this that, option that here's put how so i will much, respond yeah it would have put so much pressure on her yeah yeah so i i really loved pretty much everything about it and this is such a not the point i know but i think it's an interesting side note since we've been kind of pulling in earlier storylines and episodes and such I remember being really upset when Christina in a season two thing, when Hattie started dating Alex and Christina found out that Hattie had confided in Camille about it. And Christina was just 
so pissed. And she was like, oh, that's great. And at first I didn't read the sarcasm and I'm like, oh, great. You get that it's great that Hattie has someone to talk to. But then she was like, that's great. She talked to you instead of her own mother. And I couldn't help but think if Sarah could see this scene between her two children, I don't think Sarah would be like, why didn't he talk to me? I gave him the yeah. opportunity. Why is he talking to Amber instead? I think she would be like, oh my God, I raised them so well. This is beautiful. I'm so glad he has someone to turn to if he didn't feel like he could turn to me for whatever reason. And that's good parenting too. And that's taking your ego out of it. <laughs> and so I know that that show never actually showed that scene or anything like that, but I couldn't help but think that's what you should want for your kids is for them to have someone to turn to. And it doesn't necessarily have to be you. Um, and so I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah. Well, I felt like Amber had such a wonderful reaction to this news. And now for the other end of the spectrum, which is not even about Amy's pregnancy, but Hank's oh, reaction man. to Mark being an incredibly big person yeah. and generous and caring, yep. taking his vague concern to Sarah. I thought that was spectacular. I didn't even, initially, I didn't even take any notes. I just said, wow, I bet Melissa just loved this scene with him. <laughs> How's Drew? Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Turns out was just very, very stressed about college and everything. Right. But he's okay, right? Yeah, but Mark was right to be worried. You know, he's a very emotional kid. You can't always tell. Yeah. Yeah, but he's fine, right? It turns yeah. out he's fine. What? No, I mean, look, he, Drew's stressed out. Yeah, because yeah. he's going to go to college, and that's right. normal. I was freaking out myself. and But Mark, you know, I was just kind of thinking, I think he probably didn't need to come over, right? Think he came to see me? Maybe, yeah. And what, what if he did? No, I mean... You don't have any feelings about that. I'm, I'm fine. I'm no, you're doing, fine. You don't care, I don't right? Feelings. What are you saying? Am I, am I jealous I'm that he's coming around? I'm just wondering. It seems to have stuck with you, so I just wonder if you had a feeling. I'm just noticing it, and I'm making an observation about it. I understand. Thank you for the observation. I need some sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, you can get it yourself. <laughs> I mean, Melissa, go. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought, to be so sure and smug that there's nothing wrong with Drew... Especially, of course, when we know that they're, he's going through something so intense. To, like, use it as, like, a point with Sarah. And, and I just thought, what, what a child you are. And then, honestly, I was mad at Sarah, too, because she was, like, turning the thing about Drew into, like, oh, well, you didn't have a feeling about that, did you? You, you weren't jealous. And then it becomes, like, weird foreplay or something for a second. I don't know. I was like, what the hell is happening? Mark is a grown-up who, like, was concerned about your kid. And how did that go through a funhouse mirror of, like, distortion <laughs> to where now it's like, oh, Mark shouldn't even speak to you if he's concerned about your kid because I'll be jealous. And and then she's kind of flattered that he's jealous and wants him to, like, admit it. I, I, I don't even know how to, like, phrase how upset I was, but I just thought... Let's juxtapose that scene with Amber and Drew <laughs> tackling heady, real things. And I mean, I get that Hank didn't know, but he also didn't want to know. He like cuts her off before she can even say, well, it turns out it was this. He's like, uh-huh, turns out he's fine. Yeah, I just thought, you're so selfish. Literally all you can think about is that Mark came to deliver some news. You're not actually concerned with whether or not Drew's okay. You're convinced he is. 
The only disagreement I have is that I didn't read Sarah's response as flattery. Really? Okay. I thought she was kind of ticked at him. Okay. I mean, that's what I, I like thought that, that you can read a lot. I thought more. that's what the you can get the sugar yourself was about. Okay. Like I thought it was oh, come kind on, of flirty. Spit it out. Oh, maybe. So. I thought it was yeah, I thought it was a little flirty. But I agree. I mean, him asking how's Drew without wanting to know how Drew is. Yeah. Like it was asking how's Drew to be right about something. Yes. Not out of concern for her son. Yeah. But I also didn't like Mark going there. <laughs> Did you think he should have called I had, her on the phone or something? Or Well, first of all, I think the way he reacted to Drew, he would not have reacted to any other kid. Like he mm. was in class. He just seemed kind of down. And Amy wasn't in class. Don't go to Drew because Amy wasn't in class. If you're concerned about Amy, go to Amy. He knows a lot about their relationship because he knows his family. So he's able to be like, is everything okay with your girlfriend? Like, I think a teacher at that age... You know, if you think something's up, you can be like, hey, you seem down in class. Are you okay? But being like, is everything okay with Amy? Like you just walked in on them having sex. I got from the uh, (laughs) previously on. So like, you know too much there. You have a special relationship. You clearly are treating him differently in this Mm. situation than you would treat someone else. Like he didn't go to Amy's house or to Amy's parents' work to be like, Amy was not in class today. I want to make sure everything's okay. So it was about Sarah. And of course he cares about Drew, but it seemed like, a little too far for Drew exhibiting like a little stress and sadness and quietness in school. Huh. I never even saw it from that angle. That's mm. really interesting to hear. I guess I just thought if I, as a teacher, knew a parent and I saw the kid looking upset, I might let the parent know in a way that I might not if if I didn't know a parent. Like, if that makes sense, not because I don't care equally yeah. about students, but because... I think it does make sense sometimes to draw on those experiences. Like, But then, yeah, maybe with a phone call. I think it just seemed like over the top for mm. what Drew was exhibiting. Interesting. Like, I don't know what, what he saw that worried him, but I don't think it was enough worry to warrant going to Sarah's work. So do you think it maybe was a little bit of an excuse to see her? I think 100%, yeah. Wow. And you can tell also because mm. I think when Sarah goes to give him the muffin tin or whatever. Yeah. It's clear that it is a back. She's like, oh, we're just making up excuses to see each other. He went along with it being his muffin tin in the first place. <laughs> yeah. She, before he was like, yeah, no, I've never owned one. She like brings it back. He's like, oh yeah, I've been looking for that. So it is like a game that they have. Interesting. It seemed to me. I think he's, to contrast him with Hank, I do think he genuinely cares about how Drew is doing. Yeah. I don't think it's only about Sarah, but I think it was a little over the top of a reaction see and Hmm. the whole scene where she's like i hate we have to come up with these excuses to see each other i thought well how interesting you assume it's an excuse but it's not and i think i thought that because we know that amy is pregnant but you are right (laughs) i never really thought about it mark does not know that and so he has a hunch and maybe i kind of related to that nor does sarah Yeah. yeah and maybe i Related to this for many reasons. Number one, I love Mark. And so I'm sure I just have my blinders on. I like can't even be objective about it. I'm like, clearly he's the good one and Hank's the bad one. So like, duh. I know it's not that simple. But also as a teacher, I didn't think it seemed all that crazy. Like, you know, like I said, if I if I knew a parent and saw their kid acting at all strangely, I true, I probably wouldn't go over and visit them in mm-hmm. person. But no one on Parenthood does that because um, no one owns a phone. I don't know. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, I think I just went with Could it. Could have been an email. <laughs> like <laughs> totally. The theme of Parenthood. <laughs> yes. I, and I would have sent an email. I would have probably mm-hmm. been like, hey, just so you know. Especially if you talk to him first, like 
totally makes sense to me if you're a teacher and there's a student acting off from what you see every day. Like I think teachers might see what kids are going through more than parents do oftentimes because it's every day, all day yeah. that you're seeing these kids yeah. um, and you see them interact more with friends and all that stuff. So I definitely get the concern of, hey, he's acting a little different and he seems off and he seems down. But then he checked on him and Drew said he was okay, maybe not believably. But I think the throwing in like, oh, Amy wasn't in class either, like all that other stuff, we don't see him. Maybe he also went to go talk to Amy's parents. I don't know, but I doubt it. Yeah. Well, in the scene between Sarah and Mark, Mark says he thinks he gave up too easily. How are you? Is everything? Oh, me? Yeah. Just. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good to hear. Mm-hmm. How are you? Um, I'm all right. Okay. It was hard for me to see you uh, with Hank. I feel like I gave up too easily, and I should have fought for you. I actually don't think Mark gave up too easily. No. In terms of excusing bad behavior on Sarah's part, cutting her slack, trusting her, giving her the benefit of the doubt, he went awfully far with her. Yeah. And if he means actively trying to convince her to be with him instead of Hank, I just honestly think if you have to work that hard, harder than he did, there's a bigger problem going on. Mostly in that scene, I was overcome with what a great opportunity it was for Sarah to apologize to Mark and she didn't do it. I think that would have been really good closure for both of them. Yeah. And I think it even would have benefited her budding relationship with Hank, Mm -hmm. but it didn't even seem like she was tempted to. I was watching it and thinking like, Oh, is she going to apologize for how things went down? Nope. Said Mark's going to beat himself up. What? (sighs) I didn't even know I wanted that. It occurs to me as you're saying it. I do want that. Yeah, that that would have been better. I I know for a fact that when I watched this in the past, I was just so happy to see him again that I probably didn't even question what he was doing there. I'm like, great. Get him on the show. It had been two whole episodes. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I missed him. him. That's right. Too long. Too, too many. And then I was like, oh, good. He's saying he should have fought for her. Great. Pick him. That is not how I felt this time. I was glad to see him. But when he said that about, I think I gave up too easily, I was like, no, don't do this. Don't open up this door. You deserve better. That's really how I felt. And and I think that's where I ultimately land. They're like probably my favorite couple on the show and I love him. And I think that he was a great presence on Parenthood, but I think he did the right thing breaking up with her. And I wish that she had apologized to him and that this had been like it. And, and no reopening of that door because it's like he has so much self-respect and I think he still does. I don't, I don't think that by saying this, it like changes his, you know, character undermines or anything, but I do think I just see it differently now. And I'm like, no, don't, don't accept the bare minimum she was giving you. Let you, you'll be fine. You're going to find someone who realizes what a catch you are. As much as I love Sarah and I do, I guess I'm still a little angry with how Sarah treated Mark. And I'm like, okay, so is the show going to like reward her terrible treatment 
of a person. By now, she's the center of a love triangle and they're both fighting to be with her. I'm like, she doesn't deserve that shit. Like she, she does. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. <laughs> like, this all makes me think like, is Sarah such a prize? Like she's <laughs> so. That, and I love Sarah, but it's like, no, no. Not the way she guys, behaves. She's, she's messed up. That's how up. I feel. Like, it's a Lauren Graham like, character thing. Cause that's how I feel watching Gilmore Girls too, which I love. I've memorized that show. But all the time I'm like, I don't, wouldn't want to be with Lorelai. She doesn't she's seem, a lot. She's a lot. She's often immature. She does not treat everyone well in relationships. Like, yeah. you know, good for a one night stand. She's very beautiful. Um, but <laughs> Funny, I don't think charming. I would, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't think I would want to be in a relationship with who she is on that show. And yeah. I see a lot of similarities <laughs> between Sarah and Lorelai. Yeah. Melissa, you mentioned the last scene between Drew and Amy yeah. earlier. And I noted that I think it's probably actually the saddest breakup that we've had on the show wow. so far. And I don't even think it was explicitly a breakup, although I think it kind of was. Yeah. You know, I've never been in a situation like that, but I actually felt like this scene and this storyline made me understand how something like that could feel like it just infected the relationship mm. and that it had to end. Like, yeah. Like, I need to close the book on this experience, mm -hmm. which, which was really you. difficult. And yeah, you're just so tied up in that, that, you know, I, I can also see an experience like that bonding people together. Yeah. It's, it's strange. I could see it having the exact opposite effect and it just didn't here. It had that feeling of you're going to be too painful That's well for me put. to connect with. But I thought, gosh, which is what a tragic way for it to end. Nobody did anything wrong. Yeah. I think they do love each other, but they just can't be together. And it's a, so hard to watch because it's not both of them feeling that same thing. Right. Like I think Drew needs, right. Drew's like, you're the only one who has been through this with me. He wants the closer together side of things yeah. where he feels closer to her and they went through this thing and they have each other at least and so in love with her yeah. and she wants the other thing, which makes it so tragic. Yeah. And oh my gosh, now I'm realizing at the beginning of this episode, when she tells him she's pregnant, he says, oh, God, you're breaking up with me in, in car, my car outside of in school. front of school again. Ugh. And she's not. She's telling him she's pregnant. But then she actually does break yeah. up with him in the car. Yeah. Oh, for Drew. Ultimately. God, yeah. Good kid. Good kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Dylan, you just said something that made me think of it in a whole new way. When Drew wanted her to keep the baby because you had said the, the he wanted the closer together option you had mentioned earlier how naive all his talks of you know them getting together are and I mean they could do all that I've had students in my teaching career raise families with you know really possible yeah totally possible but anyway I wonder if what he really really wants is just not to lose her and I wonder if he's like starting to see like that could it could go that way and and this is a tie between us and I don't think he's thinking of that in a manipulative way or a mean way or anything like that but like kind of a romantic way the way that we often think of like girls romanticizing things like I feel like he's kind of doing that where he's not thinking about how hard it would be to raise a baby he's thinking that would be you and me tied together forever and he loves her so much that that sounds probably good to him I don't know is that is that a weird thought or like am I am I reaching I think that totally makes sense. Obviously, he's yeah. not sitting there with like a budgeting spreadsheet to right. see how much money, like what kind of job you'd need to get to have enough money to pay for diapers and food and cribs and car seat. Like 
he's not thinking about the logistics of raising a family, but he's thinking of, hey, it's it's you and me and this baby and that's all we need. And we can do that because we love each other and we have each other. And as yeah. long as we're together, like we can kind of conquer anything and just, we need that aspect of it. And wow, I think that makes sense. I think it especially makes sense for a 17 year old. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, like you said, it is possible. So mm-hmm. it, some people would take that path and it would work out. Yeah. Here's one success story that I can think of. My old chiropractor in Pittsburgh they, he and his wife were just like a little older than me. And I had their daughter in class. And when I met them at parent-teacher conferences, I was like, they're so young and attractive. I was like, how old must they have been? Oh, 16. I learned. <laughs> you know, like they, and wow. they had stayed together and then they had two more kids, but like a decade later, you know, when they were, and I mean, I think the secret to them is they just like, were well matched, but also it was hard for a really long time. And, and I mean, it can work, but I, but it is certainly defeating the, like, it usually doesn't. It's an extraordinary story when it does, mm-hmm. especially that's when, the importance, like, yeah. That's the importance of claiming pro-choice as yes. something you stand for is because it's not like, well, if this is the scenario, then this is the option. And this is the scenario, this is the option. It's like, it depends on so many factors and who the people are and, just an array of things that it has to be up to the people who it directly involves and more specifically the person who is pregnant. Yeah. Cause there's not, it's not, Oh, you're 16. It will never work. You get an abortion. No, potentially you have the baby and you have an excellent marriage and raise beautiful kids and are so happy that you made that decision. And another person can be in almost an identical situation and make the right choice by having an abortion. Yeah. And there's obviously like tens of millions of factors that yeah. go into that. I did love that we got a Planned Parenthood scene where someone was telling Drew and Amy their options and abortion was the last option that she named. And that made me really happy Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I think there again is this like insidious thought that people have that it's like they're promoting abortion. They're telling you, no, they very calmly line out all the, all the options and, and they help with all of them. And they help with all of yeah. them. Yeah. I loved that. And I noted that too. But the other thing I noticed is that when they went to actually get an abortion, it did seem like everyone else in the waiting room was also there to get an abortion. Like you had the like, that other guy kind of look at Drew in a way that was like, yeah, I know what you're going through, man. And it's like, well, in the waiting room of a Planned Parenthood, you can have people who are pregnant and going up for a checkup, people who are not even sexually active, who are just asking quite like there's so many Good different point. people sitting yeah. in that waiting room. Yeah. And at this scene, it kind of seemed like this is the abortion waiting room. Like they have three um, and we're different all waiting like, rooms. Yeah, <laughs> it did seem very much like everyone at Planned Parenthood at that moment was there for the same reason. It was all very like somber. Yeah, that one yeah, girl I don't know. got I up that and one. cried and let, yeah. Yeah, and it's like people can be there for so many different reasons that are not that. Yeah, yeah. Good point. That last scene with Drew... I mean it when I say it wrecked me. Ugh. And I even kind of remembered that it was coming. I thought, oh, yeah, and then he knocks on her door and then he's crying. But boy, it packed a powerful wallop. And it was one of those cries where I feel like it unlocked feelings in me about other stuff. Mm. going like, like I was crying out other feelings that weren't even from the show. Right. Because it hit me so hard. And I would play it except like... No one just says crying. practically any words, <laughs> yeah. which I think is actually just a testament to what a great scene it was and how great the actors were in it. And 
I, and I was also thinking about it. It's like, why did this? Because, you know, we were talking about Christina's cancer video on Christmas to her kids and how its impact kind of lessened on us. One, because we didn't have the element of surprise anymore. We knew it was coming. And because it was such an obvious moment of emotional impact. Like, here's this video and make you sob. And I thought, this is kind of that moment. I mean, it's it's a huge dramatic circumstance that Drew was responding to. And yet it did still work for me. Something that I considered was a lot of the tears on parenthood are not sad tears. Mm. It's usually when something very touching or moving happens and they're kind of happy tears. Now, not always in Christina's cancer video. In the moment is not really all that happy, even though ultimately she didn't need it. Yeah. And that's happy. But in this moment, it's just a character that we love in agony. Yeah. I thought maybe that's the difference, that I just my heart is actually breaking for this child. Yeah, poor. I mean, the end of that episode, think about what Drew has gone through. <laughs> like he's, what yeah. a, you know, couple days he's had. Like yeah. that didn't take place over a long span of time. Yeah. And even one of those things, like I would believe that he would react like that to just a breakup. Yeah. But this is like everything together and Uh, very heartbreaking. It was so much. And yeah, I don't even think I have anything to add. It was beautiful. You, you, You both said it so well. I loved it. I loved this whole episode. It was a lot. And I think you convinced me, Dylan, that everyone is kind of wrong. Almost everything. (laughs) All the adults. Yeah. And yet I still found the episode just riveting. I was invested in the more lighthearted ones, you know, the in-laws and puberty, and of course the heavier ones. I thought it was well handled. I did think it's like, I knew it was coming. And I thought this whole season that's kind of defined by cancer. Now we're going to have abortion on top of that. And yet once we actually got to the episode, I felt like they didn't make a sort of dramatic meal of that storyline in a sort of ostentatious way. It was mm-hmm. it was kind of just factual mm-hmm. as if it were really Yeah, happening. and I liked that there was no one not that not that many people in the episode were aware of the pregnancy storyline. Right. But I like that we didn't see any anti-abortion perspective. We saw uh, maybe we shouldn't get an abortion perspective, but there was no real pro-life narrative there. Even just to show, you know, they could have easily shown like protesters outside of Planned Parenthood for another side. It's like, we didn't need to see that other side. This was a real situation and we looked at their options and they made an option. They made a choice and it was great. Yeah, that the struggle was not, is this an okay thing to do, but is this the thing that we should do? Mm -hmm. I love that. Such an important distinction because Drew wanting to keep the baby is different from him like condemning Amy, you know, like or 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 condemning that option. Mm-hmm. He just really felt a loss, which Dylan, you said it earlier, but like people who have abortions grieve and it's mm-hmm. a difficult experience, even if it is the right thing. Love the nuance and complexity of that. Right. And showing someone who is pro-choice, I'm sure Drew would identify as pro-choice. Yes. Someone who would identify as pro-choice wanting to keep a baby yeah. like showing that's a thing that's part Many of the choice. people who are pro-choice have children yes maybe wouldn't even ever get an abortion themselves right has nothing to do with it so i liked yeah lots of nuance I yeah liked that. yeah it was beautifully done i thought just like really good and just like we've said lights out performer performances from both of the actors you know in it my god 
really, yeah. really impressive. And all directed by Peter Krause. I know nothing about directing, but you see an actor's name there, and I think you might think, well, maybe they gave the actor sort of the easy episode to tackle. I love that. No, they entrusted him with mm-hmm. one of their most dramatic episodes ever. And it was directed well. Yeah. And he delivered, yeah. It was excellent. Yeah, I don't even know that I realized how much I loved it until talking with you both. I'm like, it's one of those where there wasn't the storyline that sticks out as, oh, but that one was kind of silly, wasn't it? Like, I was like, boy, nope, just really solid all the way through. Everything was really, really well done. So, yeah. yeah. And a lot of different ways to look at things. Like, I liked that three people who probably, I would assume the three of us have similar views on a lot of things. Yeah. Could come in here and have differing views and change our views yeah. about kind of every scenario and every character in the episode. I love that. I agree. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes people will paint something with a broad, you know, brush, like all the liberal perspective or the conservative perspective, but there's complexity within any perspective and there's not one liberal perspective or conservative or one white Mm -hmm. perspective or one black perspective or man or woman, the list goes on. But yeah, like that's, it's such a mistake, I think, to to assume that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dylan. Yeah. You were just spectacular again. <laughs> thank you. Just wonderful. It was so great to talk to you again. Yeah, and we're very like excited about your album and your business. <laughs> if you want to plug Woo-hoo. it again, feel free, but uh, we can also... Totally. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should check out Bring in the Tide on any streaming platform and dylandoesitall.com. <laughs> Wonderful. And um, we'll plug us. You can check us out on social media, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And, you know, hey, if you like what we do, consider writing us a review. We really love it. Or send us an email. We love hearing from people. Thank you. You can find all of our info on our website, parenthoodpals.com <laughs> thank you for listening until next time may god bless and keep you always and may your wishes all come true